0: What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 148 of Two Black Nerds. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find 2 Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at 2 Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention, we have merchandise that's available now at 2 Go check out our Nerds of Thunder collection inspired by Thor Love and Thunder. We got t-shirts, crewnecks, hoodie stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll do our usual recap of the latest episode of the Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon. Also, we'll be reviewing a pair of new films, including the psychological thriller, Don't Worry Darling, and the dark comedy, Do Revenge. Plus, we checked out the re-release of the highest grossing movie of all time, Avatar. So we'll share our thoughts on that experience. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with a review of the new Star Wars original series, Andor. To steal from the Empire? To just walk in like you belong? They're so proud of themselves so fat and satisfied. They can't imagine that someone like me would ever get inside their house. Cassianander. the Empire is choking us so slowly. We're starting not to notice. What I'm asking is this. Wouldn't you rather give it all to something real? All the heroes I can get. For the greater good. Call it what you will.
1: Let's call it... war. There's fermenting out there, son. Pockets are fermenting. You're in my net. Are you a fish?
0: Or are you a thief?
1: You're slipping.
0: (laughs) I'm not slipping. I've just been hiding for too long. As long as everyone thinks I'm an irritation, there's a good chance they'll
1: miss what I'm really doing. What are you really doing? This is what revolution looks like. I'm tired of losing.
0: Now, this series is created by Tony Gilroy. Episodes one through three are directed by Toby Haynes, and the series is starring Diego Luna, Kyle Solar, Adria Arjona, Joplin Subtain, James McArdle, Rupert Vanisnart, Stellan Skarsgård, Fiona Shaw, Alex Ferns, Gary Beadle, Genevieve O'Reilly, and Dennis Go. So Andor, again, is a new Star Wars original series that just recently premiered on Disney+. Plus. We first saw the trailer of this series back at Star Wars Celebration at the end of May, but we've known about its existence for quite a while. They first officially announced it at the Disney Investor Day a couple of years ago. And I know a lot of people, including myself, were just wondering, why are we doing the series? Was Cassian <laughs> Andor that much of a popular character from the Rogue One film that they did about five or six years ago all of those questions were kind of lingering across fans minds but now with the trailer and of course the first three episodes available on Disney Plus it appears as if the opinions and the conversation around the series have shifted quite greatly ever since we got those first three episodes but before we talk about the details of everything that happened and really get into it I just want to toss it to you and get your overall thoughts about what you saw out of the first three episodes of Andor.
1: Man, this is, you know, a, a franchise we've been talking about a lot recently, man, when it comes to the steam that Star Wars once had. And so, like you said, why why make this show? Star Wars has been a thing also recently that just the masses have been talking about that. We always argue that things exist outside of Skull- the Skywalker-ness Of the Star Wars universe and and, and people will always argue there's more to Star Wars than than the Skywalkers and what you know that legacy and that bloodline um, and those stories right the the original trilogy the prequel trilogy everything entails and so uh, I think Star Wars has been in a weird spot outside of video games comics and books they've been in a weird spot to kind of prove to us what that looks like right when when it comes to what is actually good content for Star Wars that doesn't include that stuff? And and we did finally get kind of a glimpse of that in, like, The Mandalorian, right? Where everyone was like, okay, we don't know what this is, but we're going to watch it. They have something on their hands with The Mandalorian. I can I can safely say I like that show a lot. Um, and then we didn't feel that way too much with, with uh, The Book of Boba Fett, right? It's like, ooh, maybe this isn't something we really needed. But there's another movie that exists out there that... You know, we we that people still the fan base is continuously growing for this movie, man. It is Star Wars Rogue One. It is slowly becoming also even one of my favorite Star Wars movies, just because of again the understanding that so much exists in this Star Wars universe, something that is just so big. And 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 after watching it before the show came out, I was like, man, if it's anything like this movie, this TV show might have something. And clearly they understood that they had something <laughs> when they kept announcing their season twos already being filmed and almost done filming and this and that. So I was very, I, w- I was interested coming in, in into Andor um, and to see what it was about. And after watching these first three episodes, man, I am, I'm, I'm right now, as of right now, I'm having a great time. I'm very satisfied with, I think, the 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 way Star Wars has been depicted I think on this screen man it's been it's very rare that we get like real nitty-grittiness in Star Wars right Star Wars kind of does a good job of teetering between the darkness and the the lightness that good versus evil can bring right like it's still very much you can take your family to go see Star Wars you know what I mean but and or kind of moved into more of a like a like a Again, a nitty gritty, almost gangster film in these first three episodes that I just did not expect. Um, in in and I think when you see his character in Rogue One, I don't know it it you just don't know his past. And I actually love the idea now after what I've seen of digging into this man's past and and, and learning about where he exists in this world. Um, I think it's a huge gamble to make this TV show, uh, as really everything was Mandalorian was already a huge gamble, but here they are gambling again um, with 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 something that I don't think everyone initially will be interested in, but I think everyone should give it a chance to kind of find out where they land. So, um, man, I, I love the tone that it set. I love the acting. Again, I love the darkness so far of this show, and I'm, I'm ready to see uh, the next episodes. I love that they released this, the format in the first three episodes, too. Uh, it felt like Again, the, the chapter one, right? This felt like, oh, this is indoor chapter one. I love that they gave us the first three episodes. I couldn't imagine if they only gave us the first. Um, I think that was it was a good strategy to release these first three episodes. And so, um, man, I, I, I think the gamble that they've uh, they risked is is so far, I think it's going to pay off. But we'll have to see uh, what the rest of the season looks like.
0: Again, Andor was something I was very curious about, but also apprehensive to just be honest, because of the nature of the character. Of course, had a big role in the Rogue One film, but he was part of an ensemble at the end of the day, and he wasn't even for me the most interesting character in that movie. Although he did really a good job, Diego Luna, I thought is you know he did a fine job in that film. But coming into this, that first trailer really grabbed my attention, and it showed me just a different perspective of what Star Wars could be. And a lot of us have just been yearning for something different out of the Star Wars universe. And you mentioned the idea about the Skywalker saga really occupying most of the time that we've spent in this universe. And now you have this series that completely negates a lot of that. And it just goes in an entirely different direction to finally give us what I feel like a star Wars series for adults, just to be quite frank. And George Lucas has been very honest over the course of the years the star Wars was always intended for children. He made it for a 12 year old boy. That was his target audience when he's made, when he made all of his star Wars films, totally fine. And of course, more than just that target demographic can enjoy them. That's why they've endured so long, but to have a series that's so, that's so focused with dealing with more mature and adult oriented matters is, is something that I think we've been sorely missing from Mm -hmm. star Wars over the course of these years, because you talk about a galaxy that has billions of sentient beings and species and all these different corners of the galaxy, and for the majority of time, we've only spent any significant real estate with the characters that are coming from like a long lineage and a long legacy of probably the most royal family in all of the galaxy, right? So we're looking at it even from a perspective of like, these are kind of the, the highest of highs that you can go in terms of the people in this universe, but what does it look like to examine the person on the ground? What does it look like to examine this carpenter in this in this random town or this person who works in a meat factory or this random soldier who just signed up because that was like the only available thing for him to do. This is the type of show that's getting into that nitty gritty and all respect honestly has to be paid to the great Tony Gilroy who is the creator of this show. He also wrote Rogue One but people not familiar with him, he's had a long career, has wrote a ton of stuff. Most notably, he's been the head writer for all of the Jason Bourne films, has been really a maestro behind this really spy espionage genre that kind of kick-started this resurgence in the mid-2000s with those films. But he also wrote really one of the best movies of 2007 and directed it, Michael Clayton. I think everybody should watch that to really get a sense of his style and his tone. He's very much telling grounded, nitty-gritty stories about real people. And that was, that was his goal from the get-go, to tell a Star Wars show about real people. And he was hesitant to even do this. He didn't even want to do this after the Rogue One experience because... I assumed he thought that that would be very similar to just other Star Wars content that's come out, like The Mandalorian or The Book of Boba Fett, where it feels more fanservice-y. It feels more geared towards the children of of, of who's going to be really enamored with that type of Star Wars um, type of storytelling these days. But once he sent over this document to Lucasfilm of like what to do and what not to do, and just how to really approach this story of Cassian Andor mm-hmm. and all of these surrounding people you know, that he comes into contact with, Now we have something completely different on our hands that we haven't experienced. And these first three episodes really, really were impressive just because of how truly grounded they are and how mature and different they feel than everything else we've seen out of Star Wars. The fact that we just get to spend time with these random, local, on-the-ground people that you otherwise would never see because, Mm -hmm. again, many Star Wars stories are just so focused on the regalness and the royal nature of the characters. The Skywalkers is a long lineage of people who we've been told are the most important people in the galaxy. And we're often told and reinforced that they might also be kind of the only force wielders. We know that that's not technically true, but it kind of seems that way. Mm -hmm. And and you don't need the force and you don't need lightsaber, sabers, and you don't even need like alien species to tell a good story. Cause so far, like I haven't really seen any sort of aliens in this show, like any weird creatures and you don't necessarily need that. And I think the fact that we're just side by side in this story with real people in this structure telling this really expansive broad scope of 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 what the birth of the rebellion really looks like in this universe it's just really incredible to see and 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 everything from the acting and the performances to the writing which is probably the best star wars writing that we've gotten in in a really really long time and then just also the 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 the, the craftsmanship of the show the production design and the way it looks and the way that it feels and the tone everything is just hitting on so many different cylinders for me and so I just really loved it. I do want to dive a little bit deeper not to spoil anything out of these first three episodes but to talk about just the nature of how this show exists and what it's meant to really do and achieve over the course of these 12 episodes and the fact that we are really focusing on regular people and not the Skywalkers or not anybody that's known or famous any previous real existing IP from this universe. What are your thoughts about the fact that so far, we've just met these really ordinary people who just have <laughs> ordinary jobs. Cassie and Andor at this point, he's just kind of on the run. You know, he's just kind of getting getting away he's seen as a fugitive. We know he becomes more important. Mm-hmm. But this is all taking place over the course of these preceding years leading up to Rogue One. There's also reports that this that this series has a cast of more than 200. At least, like, more than 200 actors are going to have speaking roles. That's crazy. So the scope is also just, like, crazy and expanded in, in, a, in a really broad way. And... I think even beyond that, we're just looking at people who are all of a sudden just kind of caught up in in this real mm-hmm. this real high stakes game of of what this impending war is gonna look like between the empire and ultimately what, what becomes the rebellion.
1: We're just ordinary people. Um I think that there's it's something really cool about seeing the way the Empire, I think, always has a bigger reach than what we've seen, right? A lot of times it's like oh the empire has the death star we're like okay of of course that's terrible but like what is their reach for real for real and so i i I actually love seeing ordinary people be affected by that in which because because what do their lives look like right this whole time a lot of the scope has been okay how does that affect the jedi council or the two jedi alive right now or how does that affect you know what i mean it's 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 I've, I've been looking for, okay, how does that affect the everyday person? Have, if me and you lived on a planet and the empire was a real thing, what would we live like? And I think we get a real sense of of, of kind of what that looks like, especially if you just think of the world of politics, right? Just the way in which dictatorships exist um, in, in, in real life and the, the amount of people that go against that that power structure in in. in because there's so much then that surface level and there's so much to talk about the people that's actually on the ground, your everyday workers, your everyday, all of it, the people who are on the run, the people who are trying to infiltrate, (laughs) you know what I mean? Become spies and and, and do all this. And so I, I, I love that we're taking, I think this approach to, to kind of find out what, what, yeah, what that, what the normal everyday person goes through in the empire and what it looks like to also in some ways, attempt to fight back in ways hey, really, you can only fight back in Star Wars, right? Like, there's only, it's espionage movies and TV shows are one thing, but it's different when it's in, like, a Star Wars universe because <laughs> it's like, okay, you got cool tools we've never seen before, and there's again, weird politics. Darth Vader still exists, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the nigga's still there. He can still force choke you if he finds you, or comes across you, you know what I'm saying? Like, but it's it's yeah, I just, I just really like that idea and I'm glad to, uh, yeah again, be seeing a lot of that stuff here. I think it's interesting that, like, in some ways, it's we're getting lower and lower, right? It's like okay, Jedi's are one thing. Then it's like, ooh, Mandalorians are another. But it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, we took a step down. They were like Andor. Let's take one more step down. He's not a Mandalorian. He ain't a Jedi. He's just a guy who used to live on a planet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He li- he's just from the planet. Um, and so yeah, I I appreciate those things about it.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, it's one of those elements that also makes this show in particular more accessible for anybody because Tony Gilroy's very much been outspoken about his idea of completely distilling away any sort of fan service that would enter into the scripts of this show and not approaching it from that cynical standpoint of view and I think, I've talked about this before, I th- I do think that a lot of our media today is just riddled with too much fan service often and oft- it feels too winking at the audience, like there always has to be a reference towards something in order for people to really buy into it and I think that that's just like, that's the worst of stories that you can tell and I think that there's so much more out there that you can explore and so I'm glad that we're at this place that feels so accessible because now we're looking at people that are plumbers or mechanics or journalists or whatever the case may be or even lower than that like people who live in housing projects within the galaxy people who are on the street and homeless like it creates this dickensian nature that we just often haven't seen that much or at least if we have seen it it's it's from the perspective and the point of view of people who are closer to the top, who are considered more esteemed or royal, or they might be a part of the Jedi Council, or they're a part of the Empire, whatever the case may be. And they're they're oppressive. And I think just showcasing the the, the results and and the collateral damage of war and what that looks like during war time is what the show is really excelling at. And it it almost makes Andor feel like to be honest it makes it feel like that this is not even a disney plus show it feels like it's something that could be on hbo if i'm being honest like it mm. could go further of course we know hbo can get really really mature but it feels like something that's a little bit more focused and again more adult and i think that all of that stuff that's presented here is 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 done so in such a tangible way that makes you feel so relatable um yeah. to, to this to these characters that were introduced to and i think it's just it's a really outstanding job i think on the part of them and and, and the fact that they had to design all this stuff too there's not really a, a lot of precedent for this type of story within the universe like yes we know what the death star looks like we know what lightsabers look like but if you have to design a journalist's outfit or where they work or you have to design like a car garage like where a mechanic works or whatever the case may be like all of that stuff has to be original thought and Mm -hmm. and conceptualized very early because again there just might not be much precedent or if there is you still want to provide your own take and your own unique spin on it and so everything that they put in here just from a tangible point of view is also just really impressive and I know a lot of this was not shot on the vo- volume technology which which ILM mm. you know recently invented yep. the Mandalorian very much utilized the book of Boba Fett did but here they were in London and had to build a lot of real sets and I think mm-hmm. that that's part of why it looks so incredible it looks better than looks those great. other shows and those shows look great but this one is I think head and shoulders above how they look just because yeah. of that real that real you know tactile nature of everything that was developed here Also, another interesting aspect is just the the, the structure of the show as well, and and the fact that this does take place five years before Rogue One. But they knew that they were not going to make six or seven seasons of this that takes place, you know, every year is like a season. They didn't Mm -hmm. really have that time because this show took a long time to get in development and get off the ground. And so they came up, the team came up with a, a nice alternative solution that these. Episodes would, would would come in blocks, and each of them would have their own writing and directing team behind them. So, for example, this you know set of first episodes was directed by Toby Haynes and written by Tony Gilroy, and so this is like its own self-contained story. And then the next three are going to be its own contained story with a different director. And so we're looking at different moments in time I love of Cassian Andor's life, and so this just provides another different opportunity to approach how we can tell this story, which is going to take place. Over the course of five years, even when the second season ultimately does come, what's your what's your thoughts on just the development of the structure? The fact that this is different than what we've seen before with the traditional eight episodes that they've done, or even you know less than that with six with with the series like Obi Wan.
1: Man, you know I'm I'm uh, just I've, I've been just of the mind of let people focus on small chunks of things and then just put them together. Right, talk about the seams in which the seams. You know what the way what they look like, right? Give me okay. Uh, I'm on set episode three. I'm not directed episode three, but I might be a director episode four. I'm on set episode. You know, I I just love this idea of like being able to to give other directors or directors and and filmmakers creative teams behind these TV shows, and weave them together to make something that's both cohesive and and uh, I think. Um, um, I don't just different, you know, throughout a series. It, I, I I think it speaks to, um, you know, a lot. Cause I think I think what happens sometimes is a lot of directors and people on set. I think they get stale sometimes, right? If I'm on freaking a Star Wars set for two years, by day 658, I'm gonna be like, man, I do not want to do makeup today. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes it's good to like get in. And get out and so I love the idea of being of these people being able to have different creative ideas um while telling again mainly the same with, with slightly different stories and so um yeah I, I I love when people can have fun with something like that but I think it's more than fun I think that I think there's there there's merit um in doing that of course we'll always give you know attribution to People who direct full seasons or this and that, but a lot of—if you watch a lot of the best TV shows, a lot of nobody directs every episode. <laughs> it's just not a thing that happens, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like nobody does that, and so it—it it, it only makes sense here, and and I welcome it with open arms for sure.
0: It's—it's certainly a creative solution in terms of the production of the show. The fact that these things take a long time to develop and. You know, if you if you told the five years all in single seasons, I mean, Diego Luna would probably be he'd be middle aged by the time you would finish. Right. And so yeah. you don't want to wait that long. So I think it's a nice creative solution. But it also just provides another unique opportunity to tell a story. If you have a single character arc or a single story arc that takes place over the course of three episodes in the case of which we just saw here, like it very much feels like it it's wrapped up, it also feels like. You know, possibly like this is written as maybe like a movie treatment because I don't think it's I don't think it's constructed necessarily as a TV show. Like these first three episodes felt like a movie, like with just a maybe a, a shortened script, maybe like a ninety page script, and then they just cut it off and then they'll go to the next story. You know, because even the endpoints feel a little weird. And if we hadn't gotten all three episodes, I think we would have been left like, wait, what? Like, what we what's the what's the, the the dividing point there? How 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 are we supposed to? amp and ramp up until the next the next episode. And so I think that getting episodes in these types of blocks with these type of arcs in mind over the course of three episodes is really really smart because Mm -hmm. you can tell a story now and then if you want to fast forward a year then the next three episodes can tell that story a year from where we just were and then maybe you fast forward another three months and tell that story in a a single in a single set of episodes so I think it's really really creative that they took that approach and ultimately I think it's going to reap them benefits as well because now you have more time more runway to tell these things because uh the the six episode format has not worked, I think, by and large, across a lot of these shows, both Marvel Mm -hmm. and Star Wars. Eight episodes is a little bit more, but now that we have 12 episodes and we can really just kind of settle into this and just experience it. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a unique experience, you know, that, that 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 we haven't really necessarily seen across across the board before, but plenty to look forward to, plenty to see over the course of these next few weeks about what Andor will have in store for us. But I think we could put a pin in it there and maybe we'll revisit it once we get another completed arc of a story. But those are our thoughts on the new Star Wars original series Andor. If you've seen it, the first 3 episodes, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, let's transition and talk about episode 5, excuse me, actually episode 6 of House of the Dragon, which takes place 10 years after the most recent events of what we talked about with episode 5. Of course, we recap and review each episode of House of the Dragon each week, and so we got to catch up with the latest developments here, and and, and as I said there was a significant time jump we knew what was coming 10 year difference here um before we talk about the specifics of the episode the characters the time jump itself really and just like how different things are with the a lot of the recastings that took place over the course of this episode leading into the future episodes uh just briefly what were your thoughts on the latest edition of house of the dragon that we got this week
1: oh man what else is there to watch on tv now (laughs) i feel like everything is just like Came come to an end. And House of Dragon is just running shit right now. Um, I absolutely love the show, man. It is every week is just a surprise. And I think that's always a treat in any T V show you watch. You know what you're gonna get. Um and you know kind of what to look forward to. And they still somehow always either I don't know, they always do something to surprise you or exceed your expectations. And I think that's what makes House of the Dragon, such a good show. And this episode, man, and, and like you said, we'll talk about the time skipping stuff in a while. But I think they just handled it so well. Um, and, and I'm not sure I've seen this too often in TV, but it just feels like I, I feel biased. I just feel like, man, this is one of the better times that we have ever seen this happen. But I don't, I can't even think about when it's what else has ever happened when we've ever gotten this. But man, I am absolutely enjoying myself. There's so many. There's only so many ways I feel like that you can tell some of these stories because one, uh, there there is source material, um, but the ways in which they change it to fit this narrative, to fit TV, to fit, it's just working for me, man. I'm, I'm I really am having a good time. So um, yeah, I, I clearly a lot to say in the spoiler section that makes this hard, but I, I absolutely love this episode. Um, there, I have very small nitpicks that I'll talk about in a second, but other than that. Man, this is this is this is the best show on TV right now. Um, until other things come back, <laughs> this is the best show on TV.
0: So for me, this week, this was definitely a more challenging episode. I didn't I didn't love it as much as I wanted to. I do think that um, without getting into the deep specifics of it, I I found that the transition that has to take place here is it's a, it's a really tall task. It's mm-hmm. a really difficult thing to do. To all of a sudden, midway through your season, your inaugural season at that nearly switch out your entire cast and so that there were a lot of things that had to be accomplished because not only are you doing that almost having a second pilot in that respect but you also have to sort of pre-fill information that we haven't seen 10 years worth of story and history that we haven't been privy to yeah and i did find that a few moments there, there was just a jarring effect to that i did really really enjoy the episode it's it's not the weakest by any stretch this is something that i still actively was very much invested in and involved in over the course of the 67 minutes. I think it might be the longest episode we've gotten this season. I did find though that it it, it was a much more difficult reset than I, than I probably assumed it would be, especially Mm -hmm. just with it taking place in the middle of the season. That said the way that they are able to handle this and the way that they are able to approach it in, in the ways that they do, I, I, I wonder if there's even a better solution. I don't know if I can come up with one instead of (laughs) the the, the only the only solution that I can really think of is like more episodes or longer episodes. And I'm I'm not necessarily asking for that because there's so much to watch right now. 67 minutes is more than enough, you know, and I think that they probably did the best job that they can do considering the circumstances. But there are some things for me that just don't quite add up or at least because we haven't seen them. I just don't feel as invested in specific moments or plot lines as Mm -hmm. much as I would like to. That doesn't make them bad. I just feel like that if if we had more time to just like really sink our teeth into them, then they would have had a little bit more payoff here. On the flip side of that, it can ultimately, ultimately just mean that, you know, maybe these people or this certain plot line just isn't that important in the grand scheme of things. So you don't really need to, you don't need to really dwell on it. It can just kind of come and go and we just move on. That can also be like something that the show is trying to tell us because this is a multi-generational story and the momentum is really, really fast in terms of, how far ahead in the story that we go and how far these people ultimately end up growing into their roles. And so some of these things that I might be, you know, sort of harping on right now just might not be that important in two weeks time. I don't know. We'll have to see. So ultimately, I do think that they were mostly successful. I could see, though, how this would really trip people up and how this would be a really jarring experience because there were a couple of moments for me where things didn't feel as smooth or as consistent as I would have liked them to be. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot to talk about in that respect and so we can't really dance around it anymore if you haven't seen this episode of house of the dragons episode six definitely watch it and then come back and listen to the rest of our conversation and of course we just have to start off with the time jump and just the nature of it the fact that this is taking place 10 years later almost the entire cast has been recast really our two primary leads have left and now we have their older interpretations of both Rhaenyra and Allison but also a few other supporting players here as I said there was a lot that had to, to had to happen here. You know, you have to integrate these new actors, you know, and 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 their grown up versions of themselves. But you also have to simultaneously catch up viewers with with what happened over the course of ten years on on the in between. Like, what what are the what are the key things that, that that went down that would influence the course of events throughout this episode and the remainder of the season? What are your thoughts on just the significant amount of time that we jump ahead, and then also really focusing on the two lead actresses now? in Rhaenyra and Allison and just their depictions and how different or similar they might be compared to their younger counterparts.
1: Man, I have to first echo your sentiment that this is, it's a tall task, tall, tall, tall task to, um, again, go from Millie Alcock to Emmy, Emma Darcy, from freaking Emily Carey to Olivia Cook. It's just like a, it's something about it, man. I think we've just grown accustomed to, to, the, the young Princess Rhaenyra, the young Alison Hightower, that coming into this episode, it, it very much is a little bit difficult in the beginning to get behind, especially, man, 10 years is, whoo, that's a long time. It, it's such a long time that technically you could come out probably with an entire another season <laughs> of, you know, of, of things that happen in between. And, you know, you, like you said, that you have to go, you have to fight the battle of both, coming into terms with the new actresses while also giving us a slight uh uh I wouldn't call it an exposition dump because what one thing I think this 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 episode does do well is is the ability to throw us kind of in a 10-year jump while still like st- still giving us okay this is what kind of happened in between right like their kids here now and this and that but it, it it very much is a hard thing to do and so it's it's but I, I think I like the way in the attempts that it was executed. Right. I mean, it literally starts off as of Rainier giving birth. <laughs> like it's her face. It's like, hello, this is Rainier. And not only that, but it's a one-shot. Um, and, and they want you to to pick up on these little motifs and things happening as Rainier has to take her newborn child to Allison. Um, and, and it's it's yeah, man. it is it, it's, it's just it's it's one of the biggest nitpicks of this episode for me, and I don't think there's anything they could have really done different. Like you said, it was like there's no nothing really in my mind that else that could be done. It's just the nature of what had to be done, right? Of nature of how they're telling the story. You make a ten year jump, you change the actor, uh, you change the actors. Everyone's gonna be like, "Woof, this is hard," but we're doing it though. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of other shows wouldn't even be able to do it. Um, because enough I think so much groundwork had been done in the first five episodes that we get here and of course we're struggling to be to kind of rally our thoughts between you know all the newness but we're still here and I think understanding and being able to comprehend certain parts of the story even though we're 10 years in the future I think that's impressive because you know a a lot of people again just can't do that a lot of TV shows play with time travel and they have to have exposition dumps right we have to sit here and listen to all right in the year these, these five years between here this is either a flashback here or somebody explaining to us what happened in here it's like no we're going to give you the results of things and let you kind of fill in the gaps a little bit and so i i, I appreciated that about it i think um again it's such a hard thing to do but that's where my nitpicks a lot of, a lot of this episode lie but again it's just in the nature and so it's 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 definitely interesting um yeah it's it's interesting
0: the biggest thing that was a challenge for me was just the depiction of Allison by Olivia Cook. Now, I think Olivia Cook is a terrific actress, but the change in the entire dynamic of who she is. Mm-hmm. They they alluded to it, of course, in episode five. Like you see the you see the beginnings of this this new iteration of Allison. You see her starting to take charge, become more assertive. But here, 10 years later, which I think a lot of us can fairly say, yeah, a lot of us are very much different people than we were 10 years ago without question that that is i think that that's an easy assertion to make but when you see it happen over the course of seven days we just saw five last week and now we get episode six it's it's a hard thing to to wrap your head around to see this person who used to do really horrible things to her fingers and, you know, sort of pick her nails is not doing that anymore. She's yelling. She's assertive. She's almost aggressive in her com- conversations. And you can see that the ambition is there. And this this was something that didn't exist within the younger counterpart of that character just a, a couple of short weeks ago. And so I don't know if they handled that in the best way. It felt a little clumsy to me. But as we just sort of settle into it and we, as we get into it, you know, more of the course of the, remaining, the remainder of the season, I think that all will feel a little bit more natural, just mm-hmm. just in terms of the story and how it's supposed to take place, especially with her rena- relationship. Excuse me, with with Rhaenyra and what that's ultimately going to look like. And when you have like your two primary protagonists, most notably, are the ones who are who were changing changing over. I think the key thing that you have to try to do is to keep up the momentum of the conflict that exists between those two. And we sort of get that here; they kind of touch upon it, but they're 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 apart. More often than not in this episode, which I think is probably by design, just of the nature of who they are and where they are in their stories now, respectively. But keeping up that momentum that that there's a conflict here amongst these two is going to be really, really important because that's what this that's what this is all about. That's what Dance mm-hmm. of the Dragons is about. So I'm just going to be curious as to see what that ultimately or at least how that's ultimately illustrated on screen. Like, how can we maintain that within 10 years here that we that we probably won't see Shit still continuously went down outside of the birth of like multiple children, which we, we, we obviously are, are pointed to in this episode. Like, what are the other things that, that contribute to this really contentious relationship between the two? But on the flip side of that, we do see that the children have become really, really prominent characters in the course of this time jump. Because Rhaenyra, as you said, the episode starts off with her giving birth to another child, her third child, which she names Joffrey. We also know that Allison has had multiple children at this point. There's a bunch of little motherfuckers running around (laughs) King's Landing right now. And it's hard to keep up, honestly. I think that this is another thing when you have a time jump that's so significant and we don't get to see the births of all of these children or at least the time spent with all of those conceptual moments. Now we're just introduced to like seven new characters off the bat. That's another hard thing to wrap your head around and to just like place who's who right we do we do get a a key indicator that all of renair's children have brown hair which is very very weird considering she's a targaryen (laughs) and she has this really white grayish hair that's that that stands out and so that makes you raise your eyebrow of course because of the relationship that she has with harwin strong outside of her official marriage but i think that that was another challenge that i had just like figuring out okay we know kids are going to be really really integral to the story but now we have to like meet all these people and see, like, what their individual characteristics are going to be. And, like, Aegon was just a baby, and now he's this grown-up, spoiled teenager now who's, Mm -hmm. like, the worst, right? And so what did you think about just the introduction of all these children, the breakdown of, like, their personalities and how they're interacting with each other so far?
1: Yeah, I like kind of this – I think something that's so important – you kind of talked about how jarring the differences is between – uh, uh, Allison before the time jump and now and the new actress now I think Rhaenyra in a lot of ways is the same way in which the first five episodes were it was very clear that this story was surrounding Rhaenyra this young girl who was against the patriarchy and the everything that she was entitled to do especially even as heir. She was against having kids and everything, and it literally opens with her having a child and her third child at that, um, which I think is like, damn, that's such a huge character difference between the the person um, that we learned, but man, uh, I, another thing I think is funny I have to point out is like, Allison's kids have these like Targaryen names, <laughs> and then you have freaking Rainier over here, kids is like, Jace. And, and now Joffrey, I was just, I don't know, I was just like, wow, you have like the most white kids. There's like white in this in this scenario, and then there's like spicy white. And these kids are, definitely did not come out spicy right, right? Like they don't have like, I forgot what it's called. It's not Dragon burnt, but there's like a, there's a word for the way Targaryens look with the white hair, certain skin color eyes. I, f- I forgot what it's called. I'm going to call it Dragon burnt for now. But like, <clears throat> Allison's kids have the Dragon burnt look. And it's like, oh shoot, okay, this is kind of crazy in which it, it's just funny in in, in some ways because it's not like allison is a valerian or a targaryen but her kids still came out dragon bird <laughs> you know what i'm saying versus versus raenyr's kids which is like it's like the world saying like look everybody laner is not these kids dad like is that obvious to you guys <laughs> um but it's 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 very uh interesting to also see the personalities of these kids though too because like you said aegon is now this like dickhead teenager who is who uh, uh, it feels like a a, but a a very normal thing with these teenagers though right it feels like a very normal dynamic to me somebody's always going to get picked on they like i don't know the kid is kind of crazy though he's like he needs to stop the public masturbation and like masturbating on the freaking city that that needs doing to his time. best
0: roman roy <laughs> impression from succession up there just jacking off his shit at, at, at the top of the palace i'm like he's like a mix of joffrey and homeland homelander, yeah. homelander did to say it's like these premature ass children that just their growth is stunted at a very early age and so the shit that they just do on display is, is wild as hell to me
1: no it was absolutely ridiculous man in that they kind of get away with it but it, i like how he's still like a little bit ashamed when allison walks in he has to like hide <laughs> like, ah, get the blanket uh I just, I just i just thought that was hilarious um but it it's it, it's crazy to see though like how in slow motion right we haven't really been in this world long enough to see all the effects but to see how everybody knows that right nearest kids are not Lenore's kids <laughs> they everyone knows it's so Sir so Harwin and so it's just funny because everyone knows it but nobody talks about it. it it's like the most taboo thing like when you get into this episode everyone's just like looking at the baby looking at her looking at the baby looking at her it, it, it's what's also interesting about that too is the dynamic between her and Allison how that has changed I think the way in which people help Rainier, right Allison has taken such this leadership role that when people like Allison's walking up Steps just giving a baby, which is this show just contains nothing but badass women giving birth. This is the craziest shit. This woman literally gave birth and was like, "Here's the baby. Why do you want to see my baby?" I thought that was crazy. Um, but it's it's it, it's just such a different dynamic between the way Rayneira is getting treated versus the how Allison has now commanded this thing. But the kids are kind of feeling the exact same effects, and we see that on during the fight and the you know we'll we'll talk about that later too but we see that during the fight and all these other things man so it's just it's just interesting to see how the parents status is very much carrying over to the status of their children
0: so though the opening moments were incredibly well staged like there was like a long tracking oneer that they did from the moment she gave birth to her walking up the steps you know just fresh off of a childbirth to 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 deliver the new child to to Allison in that moment I'd be so good and so fine if I never saw another childbirth in the show. It's really, it's actually becoming a little bit traumatic to watch, like to continuously see these women go through that much pain. And then also like now the hit rate of who will survive versus who dies amongst them is, it's also really disturbing to see that we just constantly go back here. But the violence that just exists within those within those sequences is just kind of, uh, it, it, it can be a lot. It can definitely be a lot to watch. But yeah, these children all over the place, man. I think one of the staples of Game of Thrones that we saw is just like, the asshole kids that walk around Westeros. like That's that's one of the key things about that series that made it so mm-hmm. indelible amongst audiences. There, There's few things that you have to have when you're talking about a Game of Thrones story. You have to have wine. You have to have <laughs> political intrigue. You have to have messiness. You have to have incest dragons. And you have to have some really terrible asshole children. Yep. And Aegon is very much stepping into that role and owning it. Everything he did in this episode, I'm like, yep, you are now pretty much the last puzzle piece that we needed in order to make this a fully fledged Game of Thrones show but he's a little he's a little prick and and I know I'm not going to like him nobody's really going to like him especially with the way he treats other you know the other children but it'll be also really cool to just see like how he grows up to become inevitably i think even worse than he is now because he's still relatively young like Mm -hmm. early teenage you know sort of years but as he grows older i mean we're just gonna want this little motherfucker to die like we're just (laughs) gonna want to see that happen because he's gonna do some really heinous shit i just know it deep down in my soul but on the flip side of it as you pointed out the whole controversy the unspoken thing between renera and and these children and who's the real father and her sleeping with sir harwin strong over the course of these years i mean they set this up in a really, really good way. I, I actually love the element of this sh- of this episode about that, and the fact that you know we saw the we saw the impetus of this occur last week when her and Lanor they had their agreement because Lenor is gay and so they knew they wouldn't be really having any sex. He doesn't love women like that. He loves men. You know he wants to pursue those relationships. They would have this official marriage, of course. You know to to, to uphold the standing of their two families. But this is just really something that's. It's just on paper. That's really all it is. It's it's a business transaction at the end of the day for both of them. And so, Rhaenyra just finds another knight to go fuck, you know, once the whole Kristen Cole situation do, doesn't work out. And I just love the fact that they they constantly played upon that throughout this episode. The mm-hmm. one thing about it that doesn't work for me, again, because of the time jumping, we just haven't gotten the, 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 the opportunity to spend a lot of that time is the fact that Sir Harwin's father is the, the hand of the king now, right? And, and, and all of a sudden, at the end of the episode, they get killed off. Harwin and his father get killed off. Peace and and peace. it's just really hard to care about them, you know, based off of what happened. Because these two guys, like, who were they, really? Like, his father, the Hand of the King? Like, he had maybe, like, what, one or two speaking lines in the first five episodes? So it's supposed to be this really, like, surprising event when they when they do ultimately perish at the end of it, at the hands of Laris. But that was one moment that felt me empty. But that, that being said, the lead-up to it and just, like, the whole back backdoor conversations that are happening and just the fact that this is like destroying their name and their family lineage and it's just you know it's it's the worst thing that you can do if you were to be found out all of this stuff man i thought that that stuff was was really well played because it just it just you know further speaks to the the deception that exists within this within this entire universe um on the flip side of it too like kristen cole i just want to quickly talk about him because his whole mentality has changed i mean over the course of these 10 years Mm -hmm. he don't fuck with renera at all like he calls her a cunt and everything it's like my guy you were professing your love a week ago you were ready to run off with this woman start off, start off a a new life you risked all of your sacred vows but in the moment that she pretty much immediately laughed in your face and turned you down that broke your heart and now he is harboring a significant amount of resentment but he does so in a really strategic way because he uses that pain in order to goad Sir Harwin Strong into this fight mm-hmm. to ultimately reveal what everybody already knows. You know, unintentionally reveal it, only making it all you know come to the surface even more. What did you think about Kristen and how he maneuvered everything
1: throughout this week? Well, first of all, he's like the only person that didn't age. <laughs> I was I was watching this like, man, is he older at all? Um, I thought that was crazy. Uh, but man, what a different guy this 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 he has become um, in. You know, being on Allison's side, he now just has so much hate for Rainier, right? And what what justice really looks like to him is exposing Rainier. <laughs> and, 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 and that's what he does in this episode with Sir Harwin in the in, in in the battle um practice that they're doing. He's like, Okay, I'm gonna start this fight. And I don't even want to win a fight or anything. I just want to prove a point. And he kinda of does prove his point. Like if Sir Harwin doesn't act there, there's no point proving. But he knows in which I I think even a somebody like that is to snap. Um and, and Chris Cole is now feels very calculated after that. Like after I seen that, I was like, That's kind of genius. Like I feel like we wouldn't have seen him do that before. But I think under you've been with Allison Hightower for ten years. I'm sure you, there's some some cunningness and some things you've had to do over time that she told you to do that you're now privy to, and now he he kind of has his I wouldn't say completely own agenda right because he's still very aligned with Allison, but he's able to do some things on his own without Allison's uh, uh, question right, without having to say, look, Allison, can I do this? He's like, no, I'm going to make Sir Harwin very angry and start a fight with him by insinuating that these kids are his. <laughs> and it, it it was very easily done for him. Um and, and he wins that exchange. And so I'm I'm I, I can't wait to see like what all of this means specifically for 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 Kristen Cole now that he hates Rainier like especially now that we see Rainier they moved to Dragonstone, you know, like, I wonder what it looks like for him to still feel like he needs to get his revenge against this woman that kind of turned him down, and so it's 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 crazy to see him in this light, because, again, the first couple episodes, you would argue this is the only good guy in the show. I feel like I might have said that <laughs> on one of our reviews. I was like, dang, this seems like the only good guy in the show. Now he is one of the biggest dicks on the show, easily, um, and, and so I guess I'm just looking for what is his next step in growth for, for so Kristen Cole is he, does he stay remain, does he remain faithful to Allison forever? Because it definitely seems like that. Allison got some, she got some people behind her between Kristen Cole and, and Mr. Clubfoot. And so I'm, I'm wondering if maybe that's the new thing for him, but I don't know what it looks like, but I'm, I'm interested to see where he ends up.
0: I ain't gonna lie. I ain't mad at him. Honestly, I'm really not mad at him in this episode. <laughs> Just based off of how Rhaenyra did him. I'm like, you know what? Hey, man, I can't be all that upset with you (laughs) because she played the fuck out of you and she also made you give up something that felt so sacred to you and now, all of a sudden, 10 years later, she's still exhibiting the exact same behavior just with a different guy. Like that That's also kind of crazy to me that she's doing the same shit she was doing with him 10 years prior but with a different night. And, And it's all just based on changing allegiances that take place over the course of this story. And so, the way that he ultimately played his hand so expertly especially goading hardwood strong into that fight ultimately revealing what what everybody knew to be true i thought i thought it was well played the yeah. the allegiance to allison is it is what's going to be key because what does that exactly look like and how is that going to develop over the course of the rest of the story and is it also going to continue to be meaningful and will he stick with her as you said because i think um Allison does have the deck stacked in her favor so far based off of what we know and Mm -hmm. and also just like what they've alluded to with with next week's episode. So we'll have to see. Um, On the flip side of this, also like to just like go back to the whole children aspect of it. I forgot to mention this like Viserys old, decrepit ass is still popping out, kids. I don't know how. I don't know why. But this man is he's dying. He's dying, dying, capital D dying. Like he looks horrible the way he i mean somebody posted a pic of 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 the the i don't know his name from from tales of the crypt and i'm like yeah it's very much like it's given that <laughs> like the the oh. white hair barely having any hair and just looking like a damn corpse at this mm-hmm. point my guy is really hurting here but he's also he's also still in charge you know and i think he's also somewhat proud of just the development of of, of these two really important women in his life like to see that Rhaenyra like when they were having that that council meeting to, to determine what to happen like Rhaenyra offered up a suggestion and he felt that that was just like really really admirable on her part and he very much like cheered her on in that respect but we know that Allison of course not fucking with Rhaenyra isn't fully supportive of that and she has his ear and really has his influence it almost feels like Allison is kind of in charge now she's really owning this relationship more so than Viserys at this point even mm-hmm. though he's still technically you know the king of course but because he is in such a weakened state. You know, I think Allison is kind of calling the shots here. What what were your thoughts on just seeing his state and and how he's descended into this physical almost nothingness at this point and just also the dynamic between him and Allison and their marriage at this point.
1: The fact that he made it 10 years is crazy. Like I've, after you watch the end of episode 5 and falling out at the mix, makeshift wedding wedding they had to have, you're like Okay, ten years. This dude's not gonna be here, and he is. <laughs> I think that's the craziest thing. Um, but man, there was like, he was he was weak in the in the first half of the season. Man, he was like, of course we see him deteriorating. But here, I mean, he has nothing left. I think he's literally counting down his days, like want <laughs> like and I don't even think I don't even think he's super mad at it too because his family is so ridiculous at this point he's like I can't wait to be done with this bullshit which I think is so amazing there's a moment in the episode right where when uh, uh Rhaenyra brings Joffrey to, to, to Alicent and, and Viserys shows up it is the like the most pure joy that we, we we've like ever seen in this TV show when he fi- when he gets to hold his grandchild and that happens a couple times i think i think he's, every time he gets his hand on a grandbaby it's like yes <laughs> you know what i mean it just felt it just seems like it feels really good to him it feels like i don't know it's the most it's the most granddad thing ever um and, and and it's great to see that there's some form of joy in his heart because again as viserys is one of these people that exist in the realm that may not be fit to rule He's just a good guy. And so he does feel like a grandpa in that sense. He feels like just this dude who's withering away, but still has pure intentions. And so I, I love that moment where he's like, I don't know, he just he just loves his family. That's really what it is. He just loves his family. And so I appreciate that about him. Him and Allison, man, whew, are night and day now. Again, there was a moment where Viserys could speak to Allison in certain ways and that Allison would have to listen. Now Allison is talking all kind of she she pretty much was like in in my <laughs> you're gonna have to kill me before these certain things happen you know what i'm saying and and it, it it's so crazy to see because allison would have never been like that um but it's that dynamic is also interesting because I, I wonder how much of her father is embedded in her within that 10 years right how much of like she hits the five-year mark and she's like slowly becoming Otto Hightower from the things that she's learned as a child I think that's a something uh interesting I thought about too but seeing that now she's in council meetings uh oh, crazy I actually really love the shot this episode where um Rhaenyra says I have to speak and everyone else sits down and Rhaenyra and Alicent Alicent doesn't sit down immediately. And so they're just th- these two women on the opposite sides of the table staring each other down. I thought that was crazy. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is really good." Just they was killing cinematography this episode. It's, it's uh, it was really something else. But seeing seeing the person that Allison has become is it it also proves that well necessarily not proves but it's very obvious that she slowly understanding that Viserys is weak and trying to take advantage of everything she tells Aegon you are gonna be heir <laughs> or like you know what I'm saying you're gonna you're gonna be king one day because all this bullshit Rhaenyra got going on like she has a very clear um, um mission now and you could even see it throughout the keep there's like guards wearing green now and it's crazy of what's going on and it's very indicative of of how much Allison has infiltrated herself into power in this position and so man I feel bad for Viserys but I also I'm like man you you might it might be your time brother he doesn't even have a hand anymore it's the whole thing is missing the whole hand is gone first it was it was a finger two fingers the whole hand is gone like the dude is not going to make like I I'm, I'm this is just a world where like it's time for you not to be king anymore you, you shouldn't have to die to not be king anymore you know what I'm saying like there's a reason the presidency is only so long in America it's like no nah, bro you too old and so like it's it's yeah it's it's really sad but it's also ushering very obvious that a new age has to be ushered in very soon and that's also what makes this interesting is because you kind of don't know how it's going to go but you see everybody's intentions
0: yeah, my my jaw dropped when he walked into the room, and his sleeve was dangling <laughs> at the end. <laughs> I was just like, "So you're you're wearing a sleeve, and there's nothing there? That that's a, that's a choice." Um, but yeah, man, I think uh, Allison her 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 whole one eighty of of the the characterization of that character it's significant, and and it needs to happen too. She has to be a formidable foe in this war. It, it's it's ultimately going to be a war between her and Rhaenyra. That's that's what this all comes down to, and so you have to buy into the fact that. She is going to be a threat to everything that Rhaenyra is also building now. That especially since she does leave and goes to Dragonstone, you know they're they're, they're setting up different camps, you know, in opposition towards each other. Really, just setting forth in motion what the what the war is going to look like. I do want to quickly talk about Damon and Lena, and specifically with their relationship. They do have two two children now as well. They have Bela and Rhaena, so there's more kids here, and. This is the episode or at least this is the point of the episode that really did not work for me at all. This, this is the this is the subplot that I just denied mm-hmm. did not really care for just because like that relationship between these two was there's no time, you know, to 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 expound upon it and and she dies. She self-sacrifices herself at the at the end of this episode at the hands of her dragon because she doesn't want to go through this childbirth that's probably going to kill her. And I, I just found, I found myself somewhat emotionally empty when it happened, just because we didn't really get to see their relationship flourish over the course of hours and hours. It just, it just started last week at the, at the ceremony, and now they're married and have a couple of children. So that's fine. We, we can, we can buy into that. Of course, it's been ten years, but the fact that we didn't get to spend that time with them to see the dynamics of how they interacted with each other. It just kind of left that, that moment for me feeling a little bit hollow. Um, I, I I understand her wanting to go out and die a dragon rider's death. You know, she wanted to go out with honor, but then another side of me just thought like, well, damn, you didn't even at least want to try to save the kid. Like, just give it a shot. Like, you know, you're probably going to die. The kid might've survived. We don't know if it was mm. going to ultimately die or not. There was a, a chance that it wouldn't, but maybe, maybe it would have, but I guess, I guess she just opted for, for the for the latter to say like, yeah, you know what? It's not even worth it. If the kid's not going to come out healthy and strong and I'm going to die as well, let's just go ahead and get this over with now and, and fry me to toast. I, I just found it to be a a, a a somewhat not impulsive for her, but impulsive for us as an audience because we just didn't really understand the mindset quite yet in that moment and what she was going through because we haven't spent that time with her as a character.
1: Yeah, I, I, I felt a little bit bittersweet, I think, about everything going on with, 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 with Damon and Lena. Um, and it was, uh, uh, I like this look into a different Damon, right? I think one of the big things, motifs in this episode is, is death by fire. Um, and not only death by fire, but death by fire by, from two of the main characters their lovers both died in fire right Sir Gowan dies and we have Lena di- uh, dying here both by fire but by, by two different ways um and so in, in 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 watching I think I was a little bit fascinated because we've never seen Damon I think in this light where of, of, he actually at least somewhat cared for something and, and he was here kind of having a family. Of course, they he was neglectful, right? And the, the daughter was like, Dad ignores me and this and that. And and, and even Lena in this episode, she very much gives, uh, she gives way. She gives up um, a piece of herself by telling Damon, like, I know I'm not the wife you wanted. I've already accepted that. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting to see how both uh, uh Rhaenyra in Damon's lives, are somewhat surrounded by sadness. They bring sadness with them. They they very rarely do they bring things that happy to them. And so, one seeing Damon have the biggest uh, uh, comeback of all time, where. Now his child, he's having the exact same problem <laughs> that Viserys had in episode one, right? Where Emma has he has to make the exact same choice. Um, and I, yeah, I just thought that was like a point of maturity potentially for Damon. I don't know exactly what it looks like for him, but I very I, I did not ever really expect to see Damon super sad in in anything, and I think he's gonna come to regret the the death of Lena um somewhere down the line and so those are the kind of things I was interested in not only that but Lena's just a badass I just liked her like she was she has freaking uh, what's the name of that dragon is Ray it might be Rhaegar what's the name of the dang dragon um it's the biggest the biggest dragon in all of Westeros she owns it um and she she is just popping out these kids man and and I don't know man I just I I found myself finding a little bit of poeticness in the way of her coming into terms with what was happening, and I very much agree with you there. That's <laughs> like, dang, you! I thought I had the exact same thought. I was like, "Y'all not gonna try to cut out the baby?" I had the very exact same thought, but I was like, "Maybe there's just something I don't know." You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so seeing seeing at least her go how she wanted, there was some poeticness to it. But I was sad to just see her go in general. We, we we got this strong black woman in the show who wrote The Biggest Dragon, who had some cool daughters, and she had to go. I was like, damn, we just met her. She had to die already? But that's very much Game of Thrones, right? Very much House of the Dragon. Don't get attached to anybody, but we literally knew her for 10 minutes. <laughs> and uh, I, I I just thought that was, that was the sad part for me. It was like... There, I feel like there's certain characters you introduced that you can get rid of instantly, but her, I don't know, I feel like it could have gave us at least one more episode for us to sit on that a little bit longer, which I think could even speak to your point, right? Maybe flesh out the relationship more between, between Damon and Lena in this episode and then have all that potentially go down to the next episode. I feel like there could have been something a little bit different there to make it. Had, feel a little bit more grounded feel like it was a little more weight to it uh but other than that I, I, I enjoyed the idea of them being somewhere else and having their own problems because it felt like a short story to me it felt like a I don't know something that was a part of this world that was was also very important in that we needed to see not only to see that Damon had kids but to see his psyche in which in, in the way that he's grown so yeah that's kind of how I felt
0: Damon will certainly be affected by this i think it's ultimately going to influence his arc for sure um the whole execution of it is is something i think a little bit to a little bit that's left to be desired but the other the other big thing that happened this week is is the emergence really of a new villain of the show in in sir larry strong when allison tells him like yeah i wish my dad was back here as the hand of the king my guy like takes that as, as, as an opportunity to just turn the fuck up, and he orchestrates the death of both his father and his brother, sets them on fire. He basically frees these prisoners, makes an exchange with them. He takes out their tongues in order for them to, 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 to set his family on fire and just eliminate them completely. Which, that was a big what-the-hell moment for me. Again, like, Lionel as Hand of the King. I like him as an actor, too. I like what he did in this episode. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, damn. he's he, he also, too, is already gone and off the board, as well as Sir Harwin Strong. And I'm just like, damn, a lot of these people are dropping like flies. And so, yes, in the grand context of what the story might be, the fact that this is more intimate, a lot of these people probably just don't matter all that much. And, and that's probably the piece that we'll ultimately understand as, as this season concludes but it also makes you just like wonder, like, "Yo, there's some really good people here, and I want to lo- I want to learn a little bit more about their their dynamics with other people." But Laris, on the other hand, I'm still I'm still holding out judgment on how he might ultimately end up being as as a villain. I will say though, the 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 move of him just acting so impulsively, off of that one that one thing that she mentioned to him to then all of a sudden go orchestrate the death of people he's related to. That's some pretty sinister <laughs> shit. So it's setting him up in a really. A really dangerous way. He he's immediately a threat because you really can't tell this guy anything. Because if you tell him something, oh, you best believe he's gonna he's gonna act on it. You know, so I, I do like that unpredictable nature to him. Um, that that was kind of the shocking moment of the episode that I I just did not see coming, and I think it makes him obviously not a physical foe because he's not physical at all. He he's really this this strategist, this mental guy who who has the capacity to make shit happen, and and you really just can't predict what his next move is gonna be. So. I I did really enjoy what they did here, but I I do want to hold out judgment on how he's ultimately going to shape up to be as a villain Mm because we kind of have to see how his dynamic works hand in hand with what's happening between Rene and Allison. Like is Allison ultimately going to kind of warm up to the idea of like keeping him around and using this guy who's like low key dangerous, really under the surface and kind of not out there in in front of everybody and use him as like the specific chess piece that she can implement later on when she needs to make some shit happen.
1: This nigga is crazy. I mean Allison was like, "You did that's not what I meant." <laughs> she was like, "You did what?" I uh, that is oh man, this dude just taking stuff to another level, man. Uh I I like him though because he's so crazy. He's he is uh very manipulative. Everyone's calling him the new little finger. I've been calling him pinky finger. I don't know where I got that from. I think i seen it somewhere, but I'm going to keep calling him Pinky Finger. He he He's just so interesting to me. I feel like it's always like the people that have some form, this deformity that are always like the smartest and most cunning because they're the most quiet, right? Like we, we talked about uh, uh, Lars as being, Lars Strong being like the guy in the shadows, right? The the whisperer, the, the, the person nobody really pays attention to. And so it makes him that much dangerous that much more dangerous, uh being a person like this man. Even when you see him cut out the prisoners' tongues, there's like a, uh, uh just a maliciousness to his face. The the emotion he has on his face is like, yeah, I need to do this. And for him to so quickly, in the lives of his family. It's like it wasn't like his cousins either. It's like his dad and his brother. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's not like immediate
0: fucking family. <laughs> immediate
1: family. Like yeah, it's not like the a Targaryen cousin thing. This is completely different. And so seeing how easily he was able to do that, just so he can put himself in a position of power, is crazy, man. It really is wild. And I think him him orchestrating this thing to get Otto back to be the hand is like. I don't know. It's like, what is your play? Like, even after making this crazy play, you could tell there's like, he's like five steps ahead and I don't know what it is. And I think I like that about his character because, you know, you could tell he's already so cunning and so conniving. You don't know where he's going or what really his goal is completely. What, what position of power do you want to be in? Is it your goal to be the king or do you want to be the hand? What do you want to be exactly? And I think figuring that out would be one of the most interesting things um, when watching Larry Strong for the rest of the season. So I like him as a villain. I think he's going to be great. I love his depiction right now because it's something about the way he carries himself and the way he talks to Allison. That's like, ooh, this dude is – it's something really fucked up about him. But he, he he's like – he's so charismatic and witty and smart. That you know, it's like, oh yeah, there's there's gonna be some stuff coming on down the line, especially and as a facade of him being paralyzed, there's very much gonna be people who feel sorry for him, and he's gonna he's gonna get some things that he wants just because based on his looks alone, and I think he knows that, and so it's it's yeah, it just makes for a very interesting villain, and I can't, I can't wait to see what he does.
0: Yeah, certainly. I think uh, again that unpredictability is gonna be really important to him. I just I just hope I, I just hope that they don't they don't. Make him too close to other villains we've seen before. Like he, he gives off. I mean, for me, it, it's more. He's more related to like a Kyburn, who was very close to to Cersei, you know, mm-hmm. towards the end of Game of Thrones, or even like Pycelle. Just these like wormy, untrustworthy <laughs> guys that you just you just don't know what the fuck they really got going on. Like yeah. Pycelle ultimately got. You know, he got sort of usurped by Kyburn, who was you know a little bit more ambition ambitious than he is. So I just hope that. The characterization of him is going to be different enough to to, to really distinguish him and make his own way in the show. But crazy start for sure. And I think Allison is initially horrified by what happened, like the fact that he went that far. But I feel like I feel like eventually she's going to be like, you know what? <laughs> I really could use you. Oh, you my nigga you actually might be on to something like I'm going to you know what? Come that's on over funny. here. I'm going to keep you around. So we'll have to see. And as you said, it's paving the way for the return of, of her father, Otto, which I, I, I cannot wait for. I think that that's going to be explosive when we we see that happen next week but we will certainly stay tuned to everything that will continue to happen over the course of the rest of the season those are our thoughts on episode six of house of the dragon if you checked out the latest episode hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said let's transition to our next thing that we're going to review we're actually going to switch over to movie reviews and talk about the newest feature film from director olivia wilde don't worry darling (laughs) i have it i have it i have it focus right here a little drink yeah i (laughs)
1: You and me. Always. You and me. All of you wives.
0: With you all the
1: time. We men, we ask a lot.
0: Can't you see?
1: We ask for strength. No. <laughs> Food at home, a house clean. And discretion above all else
0: boys and their toys at least we know they're getting work done
1: welcome to the victory project we're all here because we believe in the mission what are we doing changing the world what are we doing changing the world that's right
0: what do you think they're really doing out there what do you mean The one thing they ask of us is to stay here. Where it's safe.
1: Do you even know what the Victory Project actually is? Have you ever asked? Do you? Please. What's actually happening? Stop it, Alice. What if this place is dangerous? What if? Stop one... it! No. Jack. It's okay. I'm curious to hear where she's going with this.
0: I need you to listen to me. They're lying about everything. We are not going backwards. We're pushing forward.
1: Everyone is acting like I'm crazy. Not crazy. Our life together. We could lose this.
0: Now, as I mentioned, this movie is directed by Olivia Wilde and it's written by Katie Sibberman and it's starring Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Olivia Wilde, Jimmy Chan, Kiki Lane, Nick Kroll and Chris Pine. And so I got a chance to check out this movie this past weekend. It was certainly something I was looking forward to. I remember seeing the trailer a few months ago and being really enamored by it, really seeing potential on the screen that this was going to be a pretty weird and crazy story, which I'm always going to buy into and be invested in. On top of that, Olivia Wilde, I think, is a really talented filmmaker thus far. This is her second film. Her, f- her first film came out three years ago, Booksmart, which is a really, really glorious comedy. I think that this, she knocked it out of the park. is mm-hmm. probably one of the best films of 2019, which is saying a lot because that year was just stacked from, from January to December. There, There's nothing but bangers in, in 2019. But Booksmart is something I still watch to this day and really find enjoyment in. And then... Furthermore, this is a this is a really talented young cast. I think we have a, a group of people here that a lot of Hollywood and a lot of audience goers really like Florence Pugh has pretty much been amazing in everything I've seen her in. Harry Styles obviously has a massive fan base because of music. And then these other supporting characters, Kiki Lane, Jim, Chima Chan, Chris Pine, like these are all people I like. And so seeing this opportunity presented at, at, at the story and bringing together this young this young generation of talent, Totally wanted to see what what was going to be presented here. And I got to say, big, massive disappointment for me. Something that I did not enjoy. It's definitely the type of movie that you go into wanting the best outcome possible, especially when you see the previous effort from the filmmaker be such a home run. Mm -hmm. And then you walk out of it and you're just like, what happened here? Something Felt off from the get-go. And we'll talk about the controversy around this film in a second. Because there's there's a lot to address there. But when just looking at the film. I was already a little bit apprehensive. Because reviews came out weeks ago. And they were not positive. And so I, I became a little bit apprehensive. But of course you always want to see it. Make up your own mind. And after looking at this. The thing that I can say the most about this movie. Is that you cannot you cannot deny the ambition here. There's pure ambition to tell a big sweeping story. With a pretty massive scope. This mm-hmm. is this is more like it's it's definitely a psychological thriller, but there's elements of horror and science fiction here. And I think that all of that stuff makes a lot of sense in terms of what the concept is supposed to be. It's, it's telling the story of this community of people that live in this almost this utopia in, in, in the 1950s in California. It's this man-made created community, this town of these people to live in, and they just go about their day-to-day lives really ordinary 50s lives you know you see the white picket fence the the mowed lawns you have the housewives and the men who go to work so it's definitely calling back to that that particular era but certain things are happening underneath the surface something more sinister is happening underneath the surface and you can tell that from the trailer you Mm -hmm. can see that there's something going on here right and so when I get into the story, into this movie, one of the big problems is that it's very predictable that this is not right. This is not a, a normal situation. It's immediately given off Truman Show vibes, right? And so you know that there's something going on. And so I think a lot of the tension that would have naturally been built up over the course of what they were trying to do here just completely got ripped away from me because off the top, I felt that there was a predictability here that you don't naturally get with these stories, typically with more science fiction-oriented stories that have a twist at the end and the movie's kind of built on the twist, it can become hard hard to predict. You know, M. Night Shyamalan, for good and for worse, all his movies pretty much have a twist there. True. And I notice about M. Night Shyamalan movies, even if the twist doesn't work for me, his hook and the way that he grabs me in the first act is pretty much always like a home run. Mm -hmm. He does a great job at setting up his world and his stories. I was never invested in this story from the get-go, and that that for me was a problem. The first like 10 minutes, I was into it, but it very quickly became a little bit redundant, and I noticed that the writing wasn't all the way there. It could have been sharper and stronger. The performances are fine. You can tell that everybody here is extremely committed to what they're doing and playing Mm -hmm. their parts, but something was ultimately missing. Something just did not feel right. I felt that Kiki Lane's character here played a pivotal and important role, but was not in the movie enough which was also a weird choice the main relationship between Florence Pugh and Harry Styles which is the centerpiece of the film doesn't really have time to stew and and develop i think a lot of this is kind of underbaked especially their relationship we don't really get to we don't really get to see it go anywhere and evolve necessarily like they 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 live together and they have sex there's a lot of sex in this movie they do all that stuff but i don't really understand who they are as people and how they and how they negotiate and interact with each other about their relationship, and what the true dynamic between them is, because mm-hmm. a lot of it is kind of spent on the vibes and and curating this really weird experience to let the audience know, like, hey, y'all, something weird is going on here. Pay attention. We're going to show you something at the end of this movie, this twist. Again, And when you build up your entire movie on the premise of a twist, that's a risky thing to do. That's yeah. a very risky thing to do, because if the twist doesn't work, then your movie kind of falls apart. And, and, and I think that Ultimately, the entire premise of that was was just underbanked, and it could it could have it could have been it could have been fleshed out more because this 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 ultimately becomes something that feels a little bit more akin to maybe the Matrix, I would say, Mm. is comparable. And I I know Olivia Wilde was probably influenced by that movie and and somewhat interstellar. But we're talking about movies that are, I mean, just much better than this, frankly, to be honest. And and those concepts that they explore, which are really challenging and, and complex. Right they spend the time, you know, really fleshing those things out and i just found that although this movie is like really well made, the direction is good, the production design is amazing, all of that stuff is really well crafted. The story here is ultimately just what falls apart because the script isn't there, the performances although you have people committed here, i don't even know if everybody knew exactly what they were doing and what they were trying <laughs> to achieve with these characters. I don't i don't i don't know what the true arc of it all is. You know what i'm saying? It yeah. just kind of felt it just felt confusing and so by the end of it I was pretty much out. I was pretty much out. And that's really disappointing, especially with just such talented people in front of and behind the camera. And this is, again, removing all the extra shit outside the movie that has already happened. This is just purely basing it on what was on the screen. And, and it, it resulted in a, in a pretty disappointing experience for me, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, man, that sucks. First and foremost, because if if you don't know or haven't listened to this podcast for a long time, I love Florence Pugh. <laughs> Anything she's in, I'm like, oh, there she is. This is my girl. Um, but also, this was a really good trailer. Like, I think that's important to note, too. Like, Don't Worry Darling has a great trailer. I think they show too much, for sure. But I think it, it hooks people to go see the movie, at least. You know what I mean? I was like, dang, I, this looks interesting. Like, I want to go watch this film. So it it seems like um, your sentiments are, are very echoed across you know, um, really everyone who's seen the movie that I know so far, everyone's like, what the heck happened? This looked like it had the makings to be something great and then it just wasn't. Uh, We've been broken records for a long time now where it's like, great production value. Got the budget. Even the direction is good. But that story. But that story, though. We should should start making a segment. It's called But That Story, though. (laughs) I don't even know what it (laughs) contains, but like it's just crazy to see how often this happens, man, where I feel like back in the day, some people used to be able to have bad stories because all the other stuff also sometimes wasn't great. Everybody always didn't have the budget. So even if it was a bad movie, it's like, hey, you barely spend any money on it anyway. It's okay that it was bad. Nowadays, it's like, let's put everything behind it. But the, the story's still not good. I don't know. It feels very different in that way. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's just sad to see, man. I was looking forward to this for this being a good movie. And so I'm obviously disappointed, but can't say i'm surprised because of all the the controversy around very very seldom do controversial films it's just something about the energy of movies very very seldom do controversial films come out as being good films i don't know what it is it's just i think it's just the way the universe works the way energy works um uh, but yeah it's unfortunate
0: yeah, you know, the script is everything. It all starts there. That that is the bible of of any endeavor you're embarking on when you're right. making a movie. And and this is a this is a big production. You know, I think it was like a 35-40 million dollar movie, which is significant these days, you know, especially when you're putting a film in theaters. And they are trying to tell a really ambitious story. There's a lot of concepts there. There's, you know, things about feminism and control and mm-hmm. and, and 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 gender roles and that the whole, there's a lot. There's a lot that i might this 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 has great potential. This could really go somewhere. And then you just watch it, and you see like none of that stuff is really expanded upon, and you just kind of wonder why. And 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 maybe it's it's really to give us the vibes, as you said. The trailer is really really well crafted, but now looking at the movie and then going back and look at the, looking at the trailer, it's like well maybe this was just like a vibe experience. We're we're just meant to experience <laughs> it. And not really take anything <laughs> away from it, and you know that's yeah. that's hardly that that's rarely enough, you know, these days. And so, um, I I am disappointed by it. Outside of it, this this is one of the more controversial films that we've gotten in recent memory. I mean, the only other thing I can compare it to, probably on a much more despicable level, and we talked about it earlier this year, is the whole Fantastic Beast mm-hmm. fiasco, which, ironically enough, is also through Warner Brothers. So there seems to be some trend here. I don't I don't know, but. As I'm talking about this movie and as I'm thinking about it and going back to the experience of watching it, I don't even want to recount every single thing that's happened. Like People have been following it on Twitter. If you, if you want to go learn about every single thing that's that's gone down with this movie, you can certainly find that information out. I'm just curious as to what you think about it, first and foremost, because we've seen the whole back and forth that's happened between Olivia Wilde and Shia LaBeouf, whether he did or did not get fired. He was initially going to be playing mm-hmm. the role that Harry Styles ultimately took there, there have been reports about a screaming match apparently that took place between olivia and florence pugh on set now today the crew has come out to sign this this letter in unison to say like that didn't happen that's fake that's made up those sources are are, are unfounded and there's a the whole venice film festival stuff did harry styles spin on chris pont like there's just so much ridiculous shit around this movie and do you think that that actually helps the conversation around it? Because for me, and this is not for everybody, for me the drama is better than the movie at this point. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the weird aspect of it. Like that that stuff is much more entertaining. Like seeing all the Chris Pine memes over the past few weeks, <laughs> great content. This movie, not so much. Do you think that that actually helps in 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 people's receptivity to it? Do you think it's more harmful than than helpful? And I guess like in in, in examining other cases in which this happens maybe a fantastic beast um joker didn't have like necessarily controversy i think people were just kind of like overblowing that like oh you should fear for your safety when you go see this movie and yeah that didn't do anything really you know so Mm -hmm. just what are your thoughts on just like all the mess and the drama that surrounded this entire project and the lead up to the release
1: yeah obviously first and foremost there's too much going on um but I, I do think it helps, not necessarily with the way people receive the movie, but with the visibility of the film for sure. I'm sure there's plenty of people. This wasn't like as much as I, I say, oh, man, I like this trailer. It's not like everybody in their mama has seen the trailer for this movie, right? This ain't no, <laughs> this ain't a movie that got like uh, uh, Black Panther 2 numbers. You know, this is just, it's a it's a smaller film. I think even in, on the AMC app, it was on one of their little artisan films, whatever that means. But again, in my mind, it just means not as many people would go see it uh, as, as as other films, as a huge blockbuster. And so that being said, I think there's a ton of people who even on like a Twitter timeline is like, I don't know what this is per se. But now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in here because I've seen a tweet about Harry Styles. I've seen a tweet about... Shia LaBeouf. I've seen a tweet about Chris. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I've seen all these things kind of surface. So I, I definitely think it does help the visibility of the film. When it comes to the reception of the film I think it does the opposite effect. I think it definitely hurts the film right? Even as you you gave your your controversial less <laughs> uh, uh, review in the beginning. You, really, you know without all this stuff there's plenty of people who went into this movie like damn is this what was happening between Harry Styles and blah blah blah? And so, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I can only imagine like what what goes on in your head because now I even when I'm gonna watch this movie. It's just that's what I do. I, I still watch bad movies. I have to watch them for myself, right? Like it just depends on what it is. But I, I, even after hearing like Kiki Lane was like, oh, uh, most of my shit got cut out the movie that Kiki Lane said. I, I can imagine watching the movie now and being like, "Damn, is Kiki Lang gonna pop up? <laughs> like, is she gonna be in this part of the movie at all? Like, I you know what I'm saying? Like, I can feel myself doing that. And so I think, again, it it it's one of those things where it I think it's gonna hurt when people watch it for sure. Like that's just how it works. Um, I think. But man, it's just too messy. But it's interesting stuff. Like you said, I'm more interested now in all the stuff surrounding it than I am um um the actual film. And it. It, it also helps that everyone involved is like big actors, you know what i'm saying? This ain't like little people. You know, Harry Styles is a superstar. <laughs> you know what i'm saying? Florence Pugh was an emerging at uh, one point. Uh she she might be a superstar. Olivia Wilde is freaking huge, you know? These are really big names of people um and so it just makes it for interesting cinematic gossip to talk about. It's like, "Oh shit, that's what's going on the Don't worry darling." So, man, it's 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 definitely weird but it's one of those things, man. It's like I said, Fantastic Beasts. It is what it is. It's like y'all was tearing up, and now y'all gotta y'all gotta uh, reap the percu- uh, the repercussions. And so it is what, yeah, it is what it is.
0: Yeah, the tabloid nature of it all. It's very weird. I guess I guess what ultimately is going to prevail because this movie did pretty well out of out of the box office over the weekend. I don't know how to hold in in terms of word of mouth and if people are going to rush out to see it second and third weekend. That's still to be determined, but. A lot of this shit just doesn't matter at the end of the day, because if it's not a good movie, then we're still not going to talk about it in like five years. It's not like we're going to be like, oh, yeah, you remember that entire press run of Don't Worry, Darling? I don't think people are really going to recall it in that way. It's a big thing now because of, you know, Internet meme culture. You know, we're, we're constantly seeing these new things pop up over and over. But if a movie can't sustain a level of quality amongst the majority of the people that see it. If a lot of people view it and say like ah oh, that wasn't even worth it like the movie's not even as good as the shit that was on Twitter then then we're not even going to be talking about this shit in two years and so I think uh, a lot of this extra stuff that's happening is it's almost it's just noise really it's just noise at this point um, but I do find like I've been I've been much more invested in in, in that storyline developing outside of the film as opposed to what actually happened inside of the film which is always an issue because your movie should. <laughs> Your movie should definitely be better than that shit at the end of the day but we'll have to see and we'll see what all happens but if you checked out don't worry darling this past week and definitely hit us up and let us know what you think with that being said let's transition to our next movie a new film that just recently premiered on netflix do revenge
1: i spent 17 years meticulously curating the perfect life I had the perfect friends, the perfect boyfriend. Maybe you could send me something to keep me company. But you know where all of that got me? Absolutely destroyed. Max ruined my life. He'll never get away with this. Hey, do you want to ride? I know what it's like to get fucked over by someone you thought you could trust. Carissa Jones, she started a nasty rumor about me. She told everyone that I tried to hold her down and kiss her. Turned me into this predator. She destroyed me. I wish we could hire people to take them down.
0: We should team up and do each other's revenge. Don't you want to make her pay? I
1: don't want to make her pay. I want to burn her to the ground. Whoa. You're giving off some serious Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction energy. glenn energy. You ready to be my woman on the inside? Ooh. Your new vibe is high status cunt. If you love it, you love it. Let's start with Carissa. She'll be a cinch, I can ruin her in my sleep. Why will Carissa be easy? It is much easier to destroy a girl. Carissa, right? We've met before. You called me a human Birkenstock. Cool. Dudes, that's another story. I just want to say how sorry I am for what happened to you. It's in your honor that I'm founding a new club the Cis
0: men Championing Female Identifying Students
1: League. Everyone is dumb. You're going to expose was, uh... that he's a fake woke misogynist hypocrite. And then we're going to kill him. You're not serious. <laughs> no, I'm not fucking serious. <laughs> Girls,
0: we're psychopaths. She framed me! Are you in therapy? God no, why? Cool. Is
1: do revenge even, like, correct? Grammar. Oh, I'm sorry, schoolhouse rock. Are you dragging my sentence structure right now?
0: Now, this movie is directed by Jennifer Cate- Caitlin Robinson, and it's written by Celeste Ballard and Jennifer Caitlin Robinson, and it's starring Camilla Mendez, Maya Hawk, Austin Abrams, Ava Capri, Alicia Bow, Sophie Turner, Paris Barelk, Talia Ryder, Maya refi Rafiko excuse me Sarah Michelle Geller, and Jonathan Davis and so Do Revenge as I said is a movie that just came out this past week on Netflix just recently m- premiered Jennifer Caden Robinson also It's coming off of one half of the writing duo of Thor, Love, and Thunder. She helped write Thor, Love, and Thunder with director Taika Waititi. So Mm -hmm. she's having a pretty busy summer here, especially now with this new film that she just directed with, Do Revenge. I didn't check this one out, but you got a chance to watch this on Netflix. So I'll pass it over to you. What did you think about Do Revenge?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's important also to note note that Jennifer Caitlin Robinson was also um, the director of that movie, Someone Great. You remember that movie, Gina... What's her name? I keep wanting to say Gina Torres, Gina Rodriguez in Lakeith Stanfield love movie. It's the movie that the uh, that big Lizzo song came out of. Hey, why everybody gotta be great? I forgot. I don't know. I uh, never saw it. Yes, never but it. it was a huge. It's a huge Netflix movie. Um, that people love. People was crying to that movie again. The Lizzo single went from went number one because of this film (laughs) it's crazy um but uh she also did that movie and it 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 helps me it helped me understand like oh this is why she gets a chance to do another uh uh, netflix film so y'all do revenge is a film about um a a popular girl who was trying to get revenge on her ex-boyfriend after her ex-boyfriend published her sex tape um she gets like kicked out of school like a lot of stuff happens after she uh her boyfriend leaks her sex tape so her and another girl that she meets um who also has a, a, a vendetta against somebody else at the school they team up in order to do revenge on uh each other's i don't even know what to call them person they're trying to get revenge against um and so uh this movie follows camilla mendez and maya hawk as those two people and I have to say, I'm very pleased in, in which the way Do Revenge came out. Uh, Netflix has a problem, just with movies in general. We know that, um, but it also has a problem specifically. It can, at least at some point, with high school movies. I think one of the one of the better movies Netflix has ever can, come out with is uh, to uh, to all the boys that I loved. P.S. I love you series. Um, I I think that's one of the better high school series that Netflix has put out. But then they turn around and do stuff like Tall Girl, which is whatever the hell that is. Um, Do Revenge comes out, man, and it 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 feels very uh, uh inspiring. It 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 takes from Mean Girls and a lot of other coming of age high school movies, but it it pairs it with um even something as uh. uh What's, what's the movie, um, the revenge movie that we, re- we reviewed this last year, I think? It is, um, dang it, man, I, why am I blanking like this? But it, uh, it followed, it's just another girl getting revenge on the man who sexually assaulted her. What is that movie? Oh, well, I'll think of it later. But it's like that movie and, and Mean Girls put together, and it's great. It's everything that you want from a high school film. It's funny. I actually found myself laughing out loud a couple times. I think Camila Mendez and Maya Hawk are really all you need to to really propel the film. But also Austin Abrams does a really good job here. There's freaking Sarah Michelle Gellers in the movie. I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't I didn't read the cast before I watched it. And I was like, oh shoot, look at look who it is. Buffy herself is in the building. But I I I love that um that cameo. But it 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 feels like the high school film that I, I feel like I kind of had been missing, right? It's not a thirteen reasons why or anything like that. It's more playful than that. It it, it gives you, um, it it makes you feel like nobody's a good person, <laughs> in in the in the scope of high school. In a lot of ways, a lot of people's experience that was like real shit. Um, when you see like these 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 pretentious and, and obnoxious teenagers who are seeking to maintain their status in whatever structure they exist that at school you see all the weird shit that people are willing to do to keep that status and so man i i enjoyed this movie a lot there's a couple of twists in this movie i didn't see coming which i think helped me enjoy the film and the begin in the first 10 minutes of the film i even told myself i was like i know how this is going to end and i absolutely had no idea um in I don't wanna uh, uh up it too much because it's not like the greatest movie I've ever seen, but it's good Netflix movie, a good Netflix high school movie. And I was f- very happy to finally get that because um to all the boys, uh the to all the boys series, man, that started what, twenty eighteen? So now I, I feel like we're four years removed from getting another piece of good high school content and it just feels like it, it shouldn't have to take that long for somebody to finally figure it out so uh shout out to jennifer kate uh kate and robinson i think she did a good job here between someone great and do revenge netflix why she's two for two um I, and i think they're gonna put uh, in my mind it's like well might as well give her another movie to do um but Shout out to her and shout out to the cast because they they all did a good job and I think giving us um, a Netflix movie to watch um, it's 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 enjoyable and I hope other people take the time out to enjoy it as well. I really like
0: Maya Hawke. She she she's obviously Hollywood royalty at this point, but I think uh, she has a really promising career ahead of her, and I think she's picking good stuff for just like the age bracket that she's in right now. Mm-hmm. You talk about like a lot of the high school stuff, the coming of age stuff, which. I think we're actually in a good place when it comes to these types of stories, like these young, these young, this younger generation with coming of age stories, because they they get crazy. Like if you think about the euphorias of the world, waves and all these different like wild ass movies, you know, that we get with even like series kind of sprinkled in there. Um, I think we're in actually a really healthy place in depicting these stories as as hardcore as they can be so it's nice to also get like a nice a nice revenge Mm -hmm. type of comedy thriller type of story as well where you can take these somewhat younger these younger characters and focus on that entire dynamic and um they they definitely assembled a a really a really strong cast especially for the type of story that this is i'm curious to check it out and definitely watch it um anytime netflix can kind of find a lane and a space to to really really propel people talent in front of and behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and also just like a genre that really works well for them. That's, that's when they get in their bag. If they can really understand like, okay, we can make like a few good, good things out of, out of this particular genre. Now, the issue is, like, let's not overkill it, you know, and obviously just <laughs> completely going into oversaturation mode. You know, there has to be some sort of discipline there that exists. But I think, uh, as you said, they 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 have a niche. Hopefully they can stick to it and continue to mine some some good stuff out of it. So we'll have to see. But those are our thoughts on Do Revenge. If you've checked out this movie, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And as we transition here, I just want to quickly talk about – we don't have to spend a ton of time on this. I just want to quickly talk about – the re-release of Avatar, which just took place in theaters this past weekend, we you know we this is a movie that's thirteen years old, so we're not going to do like an official review, but I do want to talk about our experience because yeah. man, it caught me off guard. I was not ready for what happened <laughs> in that movie theater. Yeah. Uh, firstly, had you seen since the movie was released in two thousand and nine outside of seeing it in theaters for the first time? Had you seen it in theaters anytime until this past weekend when we went to check it out?
1: Not in theaters, no. I had not. I have the DVD.
0: So, <laughs> now, neither neither did I. So, I have to ask you, just like off the top. I mean, I, again, this this is this was done to create anticipation and hype for the upcoming sequel, Avatar: The Way of Water, which is going to be dropping this December. A movie that's been long in development, has been delayed like ten times, and it's finally going to arrive this December. And and this is just another way to generate that excitement. Release the re-release the original movie, you know, in the premium formats that that it was initially released in IMAX, 3D, Dolby, all these things. But then also attach a little sneak peek of the Way of Water as well to the end of the movie in a mid-credit scene. Um, what was your reaction to just watch an Avatar again for the first time on the big screen in thirteen years?
1: Man, I I had was it's funny. I I have always argued that this is just that Avatar is one of the most beautiful movies ever made and it's it's just funny because uh yeah it it just had been so long since i had watched it in that format that i was still making that argument you know what i mean like most of the time it's like oh the dark knights one of the best movies ever you might watch that like once a year at least you know what i'm saying i hadn't watched avatar in a long time and and i was still making that argument but it it felt good to i think reinforce my ideology behind the film it just be like no I still feel the exact same way that I always have. And it, it also helped. They did remaster it a little bit, right? I think they added, like, some HDR to it um, mm-hmm. and, and some other stuff. And so going into it, uh, it's just one of those films. I know we were talking about vibes, like, don't worry, darling. But half the time in Avatar, I'm just like, ooh. <laughs> it doesn't even really matter, like, what the story is half the time. I'm just so astounded everything that's on the screen like i'm i'm picking out some of the the smallest stuff man I, I know we're not doing a full review but there's a point in the movie where where, 13 years old spoilers are welcome there's a point in the movie where the forest gets like tore down and there's like snowy it's the snowy effect happening of the the dust and ashes from all the things that have burned and i was like this is one of the best looking things i've ever seen <laughs> like in my life and it what what also is crazy is i I'm not at the hugest fan of 3D just because the glasses kind of piss me off. Like they squeeze the side of your face and especially a movie that's two (laughs) hours and 45 minutes, there's going to be fatigue, right? Like It's going to be glasses fatigue, but I I got used to it and I got back kind of into the groove of what the movie, you know, offers and man, I, I'm just very happy. We went to go see this movie again, but I'm also happy that I'm still, I'm until somebody proves me wrong. This is the best CGI heavy movie that we, like the looking that we've ever gotten, like I, there's nothing that can beat it. And it, it, it also pisses me off after like we've been having conversations all year about just visual anything. And but James Cameron. He's on a different timeline than other people have to be on, I think that allows him to be to take care of his products and so avatar is a very clear example of cgi can be the best shit ever if you have the time the team everything around it the care the love you know what i'm saying and and it comes out looking as amazing as avatar does
0: man jesus christmas watching this In the theater that we go to in particular, AMC Lincoln Square (laughs) on 66th and Broadway, which has the biggest, (laughs) (laughs) I have the higher ground, Anakin. Don't try it. Um, We have the biggest screen in North America at our disposal, and so the opportunity to see Avatar on that screen for the first time ever couldn't pass it up. That's why we had to go see it, and and it's a nice way to get reintroduced to the movie right before Mm -hmm. this this new one's going to come out, right? And so. You know, going into it, Avatar is not my favorite movie ever. Is the story the best thing that's ever been written and put to screen? No, obviously it's not. I don't think every, anybody's ever felt that way. We know why Avatar was revolutionary at, this, at the particular time that it came out mm-hmm. and became the highest grossing movie because it did something that hadn't been done before. It created an entirely digital world and, and made you believe that it was real for two hours and 45 minutes. And, and it obviously produced those receipts and it still holds that title of the biggest movie financially ever until this day. And you can say what you say about the story, and because I'm totally on board with that stuff, you know, I, I I I see all the flaws with it. I see that the writing is not the greatest. Right. Like James Cameron wrote the script, and it's like, yeah, you know, maybe maybe somebody else writing this could could have something better to say a little bit in, in a more clever way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not terrible, it's competent, but it's 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 okay. You obviously can see the controversial aspects of it, the the white savior narrative. That's all there. That yep. I mean, it's, it's still the same movie. But at the end of the day, when you look at this from just like a pure craftsmanship perspective like the feat of of what this movie achieved at the time and then be reminded of that and what we saw in that theater i mean i've simultaneously felt so much elation to watch a movie look that damn gorgeous on that massive screen and then i also felt somewhat disheartened because of what you just pointed to in the fact that so much of Hollywood these days just does not allow the time for these filmmakers to put the time and attention and care into this visual effects process that's really necessary to create something that stands head and shoulders mm-hmm. above all the other stuff that we get on a day-to-day basis. And Avatar, though it was released 13 years ago, even with the remastering and everything that came with the with the special release now, I mean, shit. It just... It makes everything else look amateur. I'm just going to say it. It, it makes does. everything else just like, yes. what am I really looking at here? <laughs> There's only a few examples where it's like, oh, no, you can tell that they spent the money and the time getting this right. The Rings of Power right now, is 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 it's in a league of its own when it comes to television. But when you look at a film like Avatar and just like James Cameron as a filmmaker, the man takes his time. He spends mm-hmm. decades developing projects and he spends decades fine-tuning and crafting the technology that he needs he wrote the script for avatar in like the early 90s but they didn't have what they needed at the time to make it and so once that became you know available for his use that's when they decided to make it the same things happening here with the way of water you know they needed certain technology with the whole water element that's going to be mm-hmm. so crucial to that film to to make the story and what they needed to be but Looking at that film, man, in that, in that theater, it was just, uh, it just takes you back. It's hard not to get swept up into it, yeah. even with all the criticisms. I sat there thinking about it like, yeah, that shit's not the greatest, but mm-hmm. I really don't care right now because <laughs> do you see his face? Do you see the Navi right now? Do you see this <laughs> fucking final act? This battle sequence is no, ridiculous. It's so like, okay, It's yeah. still mind blowing. I'm just like, I, it, it, it it's just so hard not to get wrapped up into that on an emotional level as we both have talked about we haven't seen it in theaters in in 13 years Mm -hmm. and so it's almost like revisiting it for the first time and even when i saw it i was in high school and so like i still couldn't fully process and and have the knowledge that i do now about all this stuff that i can now and so it just it becomes new again right and so the whole thing was just phenomenal it was so worth it to see it again in theaters i would encourage people if you have the time and the access to go see this movie in in a premium format whether it be dolby or imax 3d fucking do it like i, I swear yes. to you i swear you're not going to be upset unless you're just a pure hater of the movie if it, if it's just like straight garbage to you <laughs> then don't waste your time but if you're at all curious and if you haven't seen the movie in a long time or if you've never seen it and just want to get up to speed before this new one comes out go fucking see it, it it's totally worth it. It, it it just it just makes everything else right now just like it makes you kind of question like damn what happened here man because things could look and be so much better but they aren't but Those are our thoughts on the re-release of Avatar. If you happen to go check it out this weekend, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. Let's transition and talk about the news of the week. We got a few big news items, a few big things that just happened. First and foremost, we have to have to have to talk about the official teaser trailer that we got for HBO's The Last of Us series. We finally have a full look at the series, which is going to be coming in 2023. A few weeks ago, we talked about The few snippets that we saw in the HBO Max preview, all their new shows and series that are going to be returning or coming and debuting in the coming months, we saw like three scenes from The Last of Us, and they look great. But now we have an official look, we have an official feel, we have the tone and the vibes of what this is going to be, and we also can compare it to the video game franchise, which is so beloved. I got to ask you, man, how did you
1: react to this? What did you think about when you saw this teaser? It's time to get the fuck into it. The whole time... We've been watching all these teasers. I was like, where's the goddamn clicker? (laughs) And I finally got to see this clip. And it looks so good. And it has the original clip. I just, I don't think people understand because they're hiding it. But I don't think people understand how much horror is about to be in this. Like when you play The Last of Us, I have friends who won't play this game because it's too scary for them. And so we finally get a couple glimpses in this movie of what that, 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 that. I don't know that feeling of being both excited and afraid when you're in the darkness and there's a clicker around the corner means and what that is in the video game. There's going to be a ton of people who have never played the game who are going to watch this TV show. and are going to be like, holy shit. <laughs> is that what this is about? Is that what we're getting? Not only that, but once you know the game watching this teaser is like, oh, y'all about to show all the dark shit. Like there's some stuff in my mind. I was like, hmm okay technically they could like you know we watch TV shows where like they'll just glance over something because it might have been too much for tv or too long for tv or this trailer was like no nah, we're probably gonna go through all of it <laughs> we're gonna give you all the bad shit all the sad shit all the it's it's man it looks good man it, they only gave us what it was like a, a minute 30 teaser or something like that it's really short uh but it looks good man It's shot well Again, the makeup, the clicker looks amazing. I think the 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 cast looks amazing. Um, yeah, man. I'm not I'm not sure how I feel about Bella Ramsey yet. That's the only thing that has me a little bit off is just the look of Ellie in my mind is not Bella Ramsey. That's something I have to get over. That's a personal thing that's like, eh, I don't know how I feel about Bella Ramsey, but is she gonna kill it? We're gonna have to see. But man, that's that's a teaser for your ass, and I'm ready to watch it. It needs to come out right now.
0: <laughs> Dude, this shit is so intense. I was not prepared for what they gave us today. It, it it's just so it, it's so it, it it makes me feel so good to see that the people behind the show, especially Craig Mason, who is yes. Chernobyl, which yes. if you haven't seen Chernobyl, like watch, watch it. it. <laughs> um you can just tell like this is serious, this is a big deal, and and HBO is treating it as such. This is that this is not something that they're taking lightly. And the shot for shot recreations of some things that we saw in the game to to, to how they're translating them to screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I, I feel like I'm watching the game in in real time once again, and and it sent chills up my spine, especially the last the last shot when you see when you see Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal next to each other because that's also like lifted directly from the game. Like, there's yep. just like. So many moments, and you can recall the emotional response that you had when you played the game. How how epic it felt when you played the game. It's one of the greatest stories that's ever been told in the medium. And and when you see them recreated in live action in, in such a way, you just know that this is going to hit in a different way on, on an entirely emotional and visceral level. And, and just everything that they conveyed here to really immerse you into what the story is going to be. It just looks like the finest. The finest people are behind this show, and I have nothing but faith at this point. I really do. I, I'm, I'm, my, 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 expectations are damn near sky high now after watching this te- teaser trailer because it gave me all the stuff that I was curious about and needed. Especially, like you said, the clicker, like that's the big thing that we've been waiting to see, and we got that quick glimpse of it. But oh my god, it looks so fucking accurate to to what we saw in the video games. It's like yes, that that's that's what you needed to do. It also kind of looks practical. I don't know if I was tripping I when I saw is. that, but there there I seemed is. there seemed to be something practical yeah, about it, which bro. is also. That's bold. That's really bold to do and if they pull it off, kudos to them. But man, I, I can't wait. We don't have an official release you. date yet, but oh uh, yeah, 2023 <laughs> needs to get here so we can watch this show cuz this is going to be something we talk about so many times coming coming ahead so I can't wait for it. Um on the other side of things, when talking about Netflix, we also got a teaser trailer over the weekend for They Clone Tyrone, which is a movie we've been looking forward to. It's going to star John Boyega, Tiana Paris, Jamie Foxx. We heard about this film at the top of the year. They finally gave us a teaser teaser trailer at their to event that happened over the weekend, which kind of gave us sneak peeks at a lot of different things from the world of Netflix. Um, but now we have a, a a fully official look at this story. Um, it's, it's about a pimp, a prostitute and a drug dealer. And they find out (laughs) some weird stuff is going on. Some, some experimentation is happening with black people. I'll let you watch the trailer to figure out who's who it shouldn't be that hard, but, uh, this was a treat to get the whole, the whole tone and style of it. Very much calling back to like seventies, Black exploitation films and things of that nature hopefully they can land it you know jamie fox and what he's done with netflix has been it's been you know somewhat hit or miss for me you know i like one thing and then the most recent movie we talked about day shift didn't mm. didn't enjoy it that much but the people at the front of this movie, you know, Tiana, John Boyega, Jamie Foxx, all folks that I like. The tone is there. The look is there. It feels like it has the potential to be one of the better films that we see out of Netflix uh, from this year. So I can't wait to check it out when it does finally release. Man,
1: this uh, I was just telling Jordan at the top. This is it has the makings just knowing me as a person. It has the the DNA to be one of my favorite movies, just because that's just me, man. One of my favorite movies is Black Dynamite. I love Jamie Fox. I love John Boyega. Tiana, P- like this is like, oh, this is this is made for you, Daz. This is gonna be great. And then you see that little Netflix thing in the top left, top right corner, and you're like, ooh. But can I? How excited can I really be for this film? Because Netflix is known to drop a lot of projects that I thought would be like that. And so uh, uh, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. But I man, I I love this trailer a lot um it starts off black as hell they start off singing freaking i'm going down in the middle of an elevator (laughs) going down to some random lab it's just crazy man john boyega is this hood nigga after playing like an african king uh this dude is all over the place in terms of acting, but he he in in some ways he, he feels like a grown up version of himself and attack the block. You know what I'm saying? Just like this hood, dude. <laughs> wait wait yeah, it's it's just really different. Um so I'm very excited to see it. Like you said, the feel is crazy. They put the grainy, like 70s film grain on it in the trailer that's like, Yes, do that. Do do more shit like this. Um but I'm all for hood sci-fi becoming a whole genre. I'll go make a movie right now. If it becomes shoot, if this movie is great, I'm like, I'm going to go give my, <laughs> give my time to the hood sci-fi genre. Cause it sounds like it could be a thing. And so again, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this.
0: Hood sci-fi, hood horror. We need more of that stuff. I mean, more more like hood urban movies in general. That was like a whole subgenre in the '90s that kind of vanished, and now it's slowly Mm -hmm. coming back, as you said. There's definitely like some some cases there in Attack the Block or the Vampires or the Bronx versus the Vampires. I forget what it was called Mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, Vampires versus the Bronx, like stuff like that. It's like we need more of those movies. They're they're fun. They can be really fun and can be really experimental. So definitely can't wait till it comes out. Also from the Tadome event, we got a release date for season four of you. um, Our favorite problematic white man on TV probably at this point uh, is, is finally returning with, with season four of you. They're splitting it into two two parts, which has become a a common thing for Netflix. Although that's been something that they typically reserve for final seasons. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is the final season or not. I I can't remember if they confirmed that, but they're splitting it up into two parts. The first one's going to come February 10th. Second one's coming March 10th. Um, we also got like a small teaser introducing us to some of the new players and the new characters that are, that are going to be in this upcoming season. I believe it also takes place in London. So he's going to uh he's gonna move again. He's going to go elsewhere and commit more crimes and murder. Um, You has been, you know, it's been an experience. I really, really enjoy season one. These last two seasons, I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I don't know how I really feel about this show. I like <laughs> three more than two. Um, I, I did like season three more than season two, but... You have to wonder, like, how how much further can we go? But it seems like they have more story to tell, especially as they continue to introduce new people. Um, so I'm going to reserve judgment, ultimately, obviously, until we get to see it. But it will be something I watch because you just have to see how it all unfolds and just see how creative they can get, especially as they put him in new environments and new situations and do new, ni- new dynamics with these people, you know, who are ultimately going to find out how crazy he is. So um, it'll be something I definitely check out when it comes out in February.
1: Is he or Mr. Fantastic or null? No? um man this i i feel like i just seen somewhere i think it was sarah gamble i'm not sure it was her but it was one of the writers on you it might have been sarah gamble but she said there's a reason for the time gap and she said it's because you're gonna need time to process I don't know what that means. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I don't know what that means, but yes, ma'am. I was like, I like when, I like when writers say stuff like that. Cause it's like, oh yeah, I got some shit for y'all. I love when like writers feel like they have enough in the tank to say stuff like that. Cause it's, it's bold, but it's like, okay, something has to happen in order for you to say that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, man, you was just one of them shows that has become just a cultural staple. Everybody watches it when it comes out, you know, it, it may not be as big as like a stranger, things but like it's still one of those things that when you comes out everybody's talking about it and so i'm uh, I, I can't wait to see just even how much more joe goldberg how much crazier he's got or what he has up his sleeve but again according to whatever i think again i think it was sarah gamble uh whatever whatever she said it made me a little bit more excited um that the season was coming up i just like seeing all the ridiculous things that happen in the series and it sounds like there's more ridiculous ridiculousness that's about to go down. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: Certainly will be present when they come out in February and March. In other news, in the video game world we got an official announcement that an Iron Man game is being currently worked on and developed by Moto Studio, which is under Electronic Arts. It's under EA. Um, it's been officially confirmed that it's going to be a single-player uh, video game, third-person action-adventure-style game. going to be set in its own universe as well. It's not going to be connected to any other Marvel games that have come out. This is c- kind of continuing a trend of what we've seen out of Marvel games. They have licensed out their characters to other studios to make these games, and they've had... I think pretty big successes, no, most notably Spider-Man and, and Miles Morales are both huge, huge successful games. They also had Guardians of the Galaxy. I know we talked about that last year. Both really, really Good enjoyed game. that. It was a mm-hmm. pleasant surprise. Um, and they have other things, you know, on the horizon as well. But Iron Man, the the most famous and most notable Avenger out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is now going to get his own solidified video game in, in, in that world it's again it's not going to be connected to the mcu or really anything else it's going to be its own story but has to be a smart playwright to take this character that has become so famous over the years who you know used to be kind of a b-list character who's now an a plus character and give him his own focus game it's years out until we get this because i think that they uh they revealed this pretty early into the development but mm-hmm. i can't help but be excited just based off of what we've seen the fact that this is probably going to be single player focused that's typically typically the type of game I enjoy to play like the Avengers game was more multiplayer focused, which, you know, hmm, eh, it's okay. It's not the greatest thing. It's okay. It's fine. But what they've done in the single player realm with the Spider-Man game and then the Guardians of the Galaxy game, I, I love both of those. So if they can continue that trend, um, obviously this is a different studio, but if they can continue that trend with Iron Man, there's a ton of possibilities here. And I think there's a lot of potential for this to be great.
1: Hey, if the trend is just we're going to give studios the, the leeway to just make their solo superhero game. You know what games I want, bro. Like, g- give me a goddamn blade game. <laughs> give me like, hey, run it, run it right now. Like, I'm I'm ready to go. Um, I I, I it has a ton of potential. My only worry with this is, is Motive Studio. Um, the, the they only have like four games. One of them is Battlefront Two, which was didn't do that great. One of them is Star Wars Squadrons, which again I play both of these, Battlefront and Squadrons. They're fine. They're okay games, but I need them to be great. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's also uh, they're doing the Dead Space remake, which comes out next year. And Dead Space is a classic, which is why they're remaking it. I'm actually looking forward to that a lot. Um, and so I'm hoping if this Dead Space remake is any indication that this Iron Man game is, again, just a new wave for for Motive Studio. Just because the other games have just been eh, like a lot of them have had a lot of problems. Um, but again, an Iron Man game, the market is clearly there. Wolverine is on the horizon. Um I can't wait to 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 see what, what Insomniac brings to that too. But I'm glad to see again like, it, it feels like it's happening a lot more recently, but it, I'm, it feels good to see Marvel just being like, Look, y'all, you want to make a game for us? And everyone's like, Well, hell yeah, we'll make a game for you. Um, and them actually doing it. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, certainly. And it's not always the most obvious characters, too, like a Guardians of the Galaxy game. You know, I mean, they've become super famous, obviously, because of the MCU. Mm-hmm. But you would still question, like, oh, really? Somebody's gonna do Guardians of the Galaxy in a game format, um, especially with just like the variety of characters there. So there's been there's been a successful trend there. I I I like what Marvel's doing here. Um, and and this is on top of what we found out at D23. Like that, there's the, the whole other game that's coming, the Captain America Black the Panther facts. game, and we don't even know what that's titled. So yeah, they they. They're, I, I like what they're doing here. I like I like the, the the change in direction and strategy, like you said, to just like go to other studios who can really like spend the time to make these what they need to be. As you said, Moda Studios still kind of has to prove themselves, so we'll see. Maybe this is the project where they really, really get it right, hopefully so. Um, in other news, a legend himself, James Earl Jones, has officially stepped away from his role of voicing Darth Vader, which he's done since the original Star Wars movie came out in 1977. Um, James Earl Jones is obviously a a legend royalty in Hollywood, but he's also 91 years old. You know, he, he's getting up there in age. He most recently voiced the role officially. I believe it was in Rogue One. I think he lent a little bit of his voice likeness mm-hmm. for Obi-Wan, but we've mm-hmm. we learned soon enough that they did use some alternative technology some ai to craft his voice in a, in a particular way to get it to sound the way that they wanted it to sound um and, and if you go back and watch rogue one these days and you listen to the voice performance he gave there it's still great it's still james earl jones yep. it's still his voice but you notice you notice the seniority there you notice the fact that he is an older man he doesn't sound as as spry and as energetic as he used as, as he used to and so i think he finally also realized that and he he officially signed over the 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 rights and the likeness for Lucasfilm and Disney to continue to u- use his voice in mm-hmm. future projects and to and to use this technology to develop future dialogue and future lines that'll that'll be utilized in future projects whenever Darth Vader does show up. But this is this is definitely monumental just for the fact that like we are officially losing the guy who who has voiced Darth Vader. Thankfully not to anything worse, but just the fact that he's finally gonna hang it up and retire from the role.
1: Yeah I think there's there's something powerful in this though is that one of the you know, things that people wrestle wrestle with in the, the course of their life is what it means to leave a legacy. And they are, he, this man, James Earl Jones, is literally leaving a blueprint <laughs> for, like, one of the most iconic voices of all time. Um, and, and even the idea of having to sign over a voice or a likeness is like, you did it, bro. <laughs> like, that's a W. Like, that's something that's going to live potentially forever um and how big star wars is and how big darth vader is as a character and a lot a lot of people know that voice more than they know really what darth vader is or what even what he looks like a lot of people know the voice um and so i think that's another level of iconicism man the dude is he's just great um and, and and i i have to you know just give nothing but 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 kudos and love to james earl jones the man is 91 91 is like yeah i gotta get out of here <laughs> i gotta get out of here <laughs> but again being able to leave that blueprint just speaks so much more like yes he's not going to be darth vader anymore um at least not you know actually in the studio recording it's still probably going to sound like him with the technology like like you said but it's 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 it really is a feat in in an accomplishment to be able to do that so man we have been in the presence of greatness this whole time, but shout out to him for being able to to create establish that as as a part of his legacy.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure be- behind the intentions. I don't want to assume, but it, it feels like he he recognizes that this is something that can live forever. Mm-hmm. It really can. It, it 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 can go on for future generations. And so, if I can contribute to that while I'm still alive in any way, let me do that now. Nice. Let me go ahead and make that make that decision now while I'm still present and here. And so, anytime. Whenever he does pass, when he's 150 years old and he does pass <laughs> away, we can look back on the next project that's posthumous, posthumously released and and we don't have to question, like, well, did, did James Earl Jones and his estate approve of that? Like, we don't have to feel weird about it because we'll know, like, no, he absolutely approved of it. He's totally fine with the idea of, like, the voice of Darth Vader living on in, in a way that's that's r- tangible and feasible for people to, to, to really comprehend. So I'm excited about him, you know, being able to just, like, relax and take a step back from it. And in our last news item, we just found out this is major, that Rihanna herself, the mega superstar, the billionaire, is going to be headlining the Super Bowl halftime show this upcoming February, Super Bowl 57. Hove did, and he did. He got another crazy, incredible, legendary (laughs) act, a black act at that, to headline the Super Bowl halftime show, we are immediately seeing the benefits of his uh his leadership and the management of Rock Nation, you know, taking over the Super Bowl halftime show really coming to play. You know, they they started off with JLo and Shakira, which is like the most viewed halftime show ever, ever. on YouTube. It's ridiculous how many views that thing had. It's Crazy. it's fucking monstrous. And I also would encourage people to watch her documentary. It talked a lot about that whole performance. It's a little, it's a little um, what's the word for it? It's a little bit of propaganda for sure. Mm-hmm. It's meant to paint her in a positive light, but it, I mean, it's J-Lo. You can't help but be wrapped up into it. But also, you know, we talked a lot about the Super Bowl halftime show this year, you know, with, with the whole West Coast tribute and Dr. Dre and Snoop, Kendrick, Mary J, Eminem. That came with a little bit of controversy, you know, because of things that they could and could not do and who and who was not involved there. But Rihanna, I mean, this is this is another level right here, too. Like, yes, respect to the, the West Coast legends. Of course, Dre singular talent everybody up there singular talent but Rihanna hasn't done music in like seven years <laughs> and so it's like girl what you about to get up here and perform all the hits like I guess so I guess we just go I just we go we, we just gonna run all the hits and somebody had a funny meme on Twitter like a picture of Rihanna on the field of the Super Bowl with like a fancy beauty standing <laughs> right behind her like her performance at the Super Bowl so I'm just like yeah we'll, we'll see but um this, this is major though I mean Rihanna is is has become just like one of one of our emerging iconic artists of the past, you know, 20 years, really. So this is just like another way for her to reap her rewards of all the work that she's put in over the years. I mean, people forget she went like eight consecutive years putting out work, you know? So yeah, like, sure. yes, we haven't gotten a new project from her since like anti, which was feels like ages ago, but that girl was on a run an unparalleled running for, for her time. So I, I'm very excited for this. I'm, I'm also curious as to what song she chooses, you know, what surprise guests might be there. There's a lot of potential, but Rihanna, that's a huge name to have headline in the Super Bowl
1: man this girl is about to come out and perform all the hits man I mean diamonds please don't stop the music I mean it's gonna be crazy um it's 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 yeah this is just great um to see it, it's more than just Rihanna not even having music since 2016 i think is when anti came out but it's like she, you just had a baby <laughs> and now you have had to come in and perform the super bowl like in september february is not that far away you know what i'm saying and for her to 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 get this show together in that you know amount of time i think is going to be amazing but she has the catalog to do it right this is you know people are like oh what music is she going to perform nobody asked that when like Prince was doing like Prince wasn't like constantly putting out that much music, you know. What I'm saying he did all the hits. <laughs> Same with all the rock bands they had, The Who and all these other people. They were just doing their hits. And I think Rihanna has enough hits um, to do that to to do just that, man. Between the works and the needed me's, she can slow it down with love on the brain. I mean, she's about to come out here and put on a show, and I can't I can't wait to see it, man. The Super Bowl's around my birthday again too. It's like I feel like I always get treated. Um, and so'm I'm, I'm, I'm very much excited to see it man like rihanna' is a she she really is a superstar um because a lot, a lot of people t- talk about a lot of times you're like beyonce this beyonce that and everyone's like Rihanna too you know what I'm saying it's like oh but Rihanna too and I think that's crazy that you can put them in the same sentence it's amazing that you can do that and it speaks to really uh uh how 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 much pool Rihanna has how much fame that Rihanna actually has sometimes I think we undervalue it because she hasn't made music in a while. But like man, this girl, she she has it going on, and I. But that, that Fenty stuff is hilarious. I, somebody's, you know, she's gonna, it's gonna be an ad somewhere for Fenty. I don't know where. There's <laughs> gonna be an ad somewhere. It's gonna be a bag, some lingerie somewhere. Somebody gonna have something Fenty in this dang Super Bowl show. I mean, everybody probably gonna have Fenty on. Everybody go. I don't know where it exists. It's gonna be a commercial right before something. It's gonna exist, but again, to be to be able to have the empire that she's created and to be able to come back and still perform that music without having music in freaking six years is crazy. So um she would have been seven at that time. Um so yeah, this is this is this is gonna be really dope. I
0: don't know if people realize this, but Rihanna is the second best selling female artist ever. Period. Crazy. She's only behind Madonna. And she did it in a third of the time. So I had no clue. Yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, I I don't think a lot of people realize that she sold more records than everybody, except Madonna, from a female standpoint. You know, even even Beyonce, which we you know we love Beyonce, but this is this is well deserved. This is a way to cap off her career, not cap off in the way that she's going to retire. But the Super Bowl halftime show is like that crowning achievement. Mm -hmm. So many people seek it out. It's 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 almost akin, maybe even bigger than being inducted into, like, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's certainly the biggest stage possible you can perform Mm -hmm. on. Like, 150 million people watch the Super Bowl. You'll never have more eyeballs on you at one time than the Super Bowl, so... This is, this is a grand stage for her to just show up and show out with all the legacy and, and the history of the music that she's put out over the course of her entire career. So it certainly should be big. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for this episode of Two Black Nerds. Thank you again for tuning in to another podcast. We will, of course, be back this upcoming Friday to talk about She-Hulk Attorney at Law, Episode 7. We are slowly but surely approaching the end of Season 1 of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. So we'll be back to talk about Episode 7 this upcoming Friday. And as usual, we'll be back next Tuesday to talk about all the latest releases, including Blonde, the brand new biographical drama film starring Anade Armas. That's going to be coming out this week on Netflix. Cannot wait to check that out and talk about that. Of course, we got to chat and recap and discuss Hocus Pocus 2, the long awaited sequel to one of the most iconic Halloween movies we've ever gotten from Disney. Hocus Pocus 2 is finally dropping on Disney Plus this weekend, so we'll be talking about that. Kid Cudi and his new project Intergalactic will also be releasing the album and the short film, the animated film on Netflix, so we'll probably have to talk about both of those, the new music and the new project, and then of course, Episode 7 of House of the Dragon will be coming out this weekend, so we'll be recapping all of the events of everything that takes place in the Game of Thrones prequel series. but. Plan to look forward to but until then we'll see y'all next time
1: yes sir we are Audi 5000 please check out our Nerds of Thunder collection at 2blacknerds.com this is the year 2020 2 Black Nerds and remember always bet on black appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for listening to another episode of 2 Black Nerds where we're 2 Black 2 Nerdy we out y'all peace I dream of fairy tales, I think of me and Shelly. See, she's my type of hype and I can't stand what brothers tell me. That I should quit chasing and look for something better. But the smile that she shows makes me a go-getter. I have been going as far as asking if I could get with her. I just play love by ear and hope she gets the picture. I'm shooting for her heart, got my
0: finger on the trigger.